You're listening to Modern Day Philosophers. My name is Logan Heftel. Danny asked me to introduce this tribute episode for Ralphie May. This episode contains several podcasts within it from Danny's work with Ralphie over the years, and it is our longest episode yet. Before we get started, Danny is putting together a comedy festival, the Egamon Comedy Festival, May 11th through 13th in Los Angeles, in someone's backyard in West L.A. You can get tickets now at egemon.com, E-G-G-E-M-O-N.com. Performers include Danny LaBelle, Erica Rhodes, Sarah Benincasa, Todd Glass, Mark Schiff, Zach Sherwin, and many other great comedians. There will be food and free drinks, so get tickets now before they sell out. And now, a very special tribute for Ralphie May. Welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. Hey everybody, this is really hard for me, but I'm just going to get right into it. This is the Ralphie May Memorial episode that I've talked about doing for the past few months. (sighs) Since we lost my good friend, mentor, former boss, I don't know, I could call him a lot of things, but I loved him, Ralphie May. And so I thought I'd take you through a podcast journey. I have the very first conversation I ever had with Ralphie recorded because it was on the air. I was... In my early 20s at the time, I was doing Comical Radio, which was the first comedy podcast to interview comedians. It was in New York. So a young, fat, low self-esteem, Danny Lobel, somehow threw this thing together. And I was at the helm of this show, and we'd be in the studio, and I'd have a staff of people who'd be in the front, and they would meet the, the guest, and they'd have a video camera, and they do a little pre-interview, and then when the guests would leave, they do a little post-interview, which was something that I saw Howard Stern doing, and uh, I looked up to Howard Stern, and I thought, let's try and do it here, too, at Comical Radio. So in walks Ralphie May to my college, Baruch College, where I did the show out of, and a young Andrew Schultz, who's gone on to do a lot of great things in comedy, very funny guy, meets Ralphie with a video camera. And uh, let's listen to a snippet from that. Comical Radio here with comedian Ralphie May. Ralphie, how are you? I'm good. Good. Yeah. I'm always running behind, but uh, uh, in fairness, my concierge told me it'd take me 10 minutes to get here. And uh, no, it took 20 minutes to get a cab. Uh, I have no idea where I'm at, and they are wrong. And I told them as much. So, what kind of uh, what, what hotel are you staying at? Uh, hotel Mellon. On uh, 44th between 6 and 7. This is going over the internet, Ralphie. I know. I don't mind. You don't mind? You don't, don't mind, mind if you have crazy fans outside no, the hotel? No. Stop. Come on. The time my fans get to this, I'll be gone. I'll be checked out on Monday, so I'm not in no danger. So you're basically yeah, telling them they yeah. have until Monday. They have until Monday if they want to say hello. But I'm at Gotham Comedy Club, so you know it's a lot easier to find me there than it is at my hotel because I'm not always, always at the hotel, but there's... Separate, you know, there's individual time to want to be at the club, so right. by all means, come on by. So they will come by, but if they want a more personal experience with Ralphie May, and they know where you're staying, 
I'm a married man, so it can't get that personal. And the room's not that big, so don't don't look for a, a nice cocktail after party at my hotel room. A faithful man, Ralphie May. Very, very. I like it. You know, as a comic, I mean, you're given a lot of options. And honestly, uh, once as a man you realize that the grass ain't greener, it's just grass. And you just simply can't fuck them all. Right. Then life gets a lot simpler and it's a lot better. You know, when you're young, you think you can fuck them all. Yes. No, no, you can't. You and, can't. And why would you ever want to? I mean, Jesus, it's it's just annoying. I mean, can you imagine that that stupid conversation from a woman every time, every day, you had to cover the bases about her cat and cute little quaint stories? Yes. How annoying that fucking be. Yes. You know. Uh, I'm not, that's not it. That's not me. That's not how you are. I got, I got a, I got a beautiful wife, and uh, now yeah. I've got a beautiful daughter, and uh, we've got another baby coming. So the last thing I want is to fuck all that up and lose half my shit. So after that little video, Andrew escorts Ralphie into the studio, where I meet the man for the very first time, and he sits down. And we, we start talking, my co-host Dave Caston also having a hard time with women. We start talking to him, uh, getting advice, and then ultimately the conversation shifts to Ralphie giving me advice. And it was the first of many times that Ralphie would give me advice. It was well before I met my wife, Kylie. At the time, you'll hear I still was completely infatuated with this girl, Khalees Hawkins, who's a very funny comedian. I was trying so hard to get her to give me a chance and it never worked out. And then I talk about some new girl who I met. I have no idea who that was. But uh, here, let's take a listen to the very first time and the very first meeting between Danny LaBelle, a young, hopeful comedian with low self-esteem, and Ralphie May, a recent winner of Last Comic Standing, whose star was well on the rise, as they say, and was... Uh, Walked in with lots of confidence and swagger, and I just immediately looked up to the guy. Here he is. Continue my story, even though the big celebrity is here. Oh, yeah, you, you know, you can... <laughs> <laughs> He's already getting... Even though the big... Finish the story. Go well, ahead. You know, you can chime in, Ralph, you know. All right. So so, <laughs> so I call her up, you know, and she's like, she get, he gives my number out to everybody, people on train, this and that. It's ridiculous. Well, why don't you fill him in a little bit for... Uh, right. Quickly, I'll tell you, this is David, Ralphie, and... Hi, uh, David. Uh, uh, he's, he's been trying to get a, a woman, yeah. and... Uh, why, why are you having problems? Uh, too many personal issues. Anyway, so... This guy, <laughs> you're over talking, aren't you? And you're overthinking. Uh, pretty much, right? Probably both of them. Yeah, um, I could tell. Um, okay. All right. All right, you have to put anger in your back pocket. All right, all right. and you have to take all reason and sense out of the situation. Okay, that's that. Those are key. All right. Then stop talking. When you have a conversation with a woman, they really don't want to talk to you. you they know what? really don't care. They I just want someone to hear them. I usually uh, don't talk too much unless uh, you just stare. You know what? I stare yeah, don't be creepy saying either. I mean, you have to. <laughs> these are devices that you can use mm. to make you seem really interested without adding any vested interest in actually listening to what they have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my God, are you serious? <laughs> wow, <laughs> bro, you are crazy. You really did that? Oh my God, I, I love cats. 
hats. If you can pull that one off, you have truly mastered it all, all right? And then just work it out, you know, work to them. But you shouldn't have any problem. You look good. Thank you. What's, what's the worst? Well, all right, well, let me explain. Uh, there's this guy at Temple, right? He gave me the number to his nah, daughter. Ah, there's a problem. Yeah, and <laughs> she's, a very, she's a very religious girl, you know? Uh, no. Potato sack dress and all that. No, oh, so my is God. he. This is his only route. Yeah, yeah. so. You're, you're that orthodox? Uh, some of the no, time. he's not. He tries to be. Jekyll and Where's Hyde. Your... Jekyll and Hyde. No, he's a very Where's poor. his horns? He shaved <laughs> them off. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking for the horns. I'm married to a Jew broad. I'm married to a Jew broad myself, okay? And we made Jews, okay? So I'm doing the work of Christ over here, all right? Uh, but you don't have the yarmulke on, yeah, that's right. right? And uh, you uh, you seem like like you're dressed in like semi-normal clothes, right. okay? So you're really not that orthodox. Uh, you know, <laughs> so why are you holding to that thing? You know, why don't weird. you just branch out? I, I'll explain. It's weird because my grandfather was a rabbi, my father's a rabbi, my gr- great-grandfather was a rabbi. Are you going to be a rabbi? Hell no. Then don't worry about it. That's not you. That's your. That's the ghost of past that he's breathe only, on you. He's yeah. only doing it because those are the women he can trick into being with him because they're like finally someone who believes in my religious beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and an and angle. that's that's the that's the problem. That's the problem. Oh. All right, you you need to uh, find out. Okay, my my friend Andrea Sertash, She's a dating expert. Okay, yeah, she'll help you. All right, she's she's a Jew. She's down. She'll get you hooked up. There's tons of Jew broads that that want dudes. All right, if that's what you want. Okay. I'll I advise you to date a Puerto Rican. <laughs> I think you need some flavor. I think you need some arroz con pollo. I think you need some uh, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, totally little right. pizza right there. Yeah. Okay. I I think you need a little. Speaking sense. I think yeah. you uh, you need something. You know, you need some little uh, some heat. Yeah, he needs All someone right? to tell him what to do with his life. Yeah, and yeah. definitely a Puerto Rican brought run you. Yeah. Uh, definitely a Puerto Rican. Brother. I think you should listen to this castle. I think it's now, the best do you, advice. Do you have, I've a, do you have yeah. a friend who pimps out? Puerto Rican women as well? I don't know. I don't know any uh, uh, Puerto Rican broads here, but I mean, so come you, on. It's you, New York. Throw a stone. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, how, bad do you, how bad do you have to find it? I mean, it's not that hard. I think that you've been set in all these ways, and you've got too much of your uh, parents' guilt and and all this all this family heritage you know, uh, weight that's on you. Yeah. Uh, that How can you even move with all that drama and all that heat and, and weight and guilt all on you? You have to get all that off of you, and you know, you know, you gotta upset them. You got, and what's the worst thing you can do for a uh, a Jew mother to get her out of your life? Date a Puerto Rican broad, <laughs> all right? That'll upset him on so many levels. I don't want to kill my father. I don't You're mind killing kill my him. mother, but yeah. Okay, first of all, they're, none of them are gonna die. They're gonna tell you they're gonna die. They're gonna tell you because a Jew has never been uh, has never been full unless they're so full they can't move. They're yeah. always starving. All right, <laughs> they're never happy unless something just happened that was amazing. Okay, but you give them twenty five minutes and it'll dissolve. All right, all right. You have to learn. You can never make them happy. Okay. So as long as you get this that sounds out like of the way, about his marriage right here. Are you kidding me? Like, I was thinking the same thing. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. My, my in-laws hated me for ten years. The only reason they kind of like me is I'm I'm a millionaire. But other than that, they really don't care. All right, they don't care. The fact that I'm I'm raising our kids to go to you know our, our little girl's going to go to Hebrew school. She's going to be bar mitzvah. If we have a boy, he'll the brisk everything. I, I'm into the tradition. Yeah. All right, but, but I don't let 
let the weight of that get on them. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, it's like so many people they they let the what what their uh, what their parents did or what their parents believes you know really shadow them. You're an adult now, yeah. okay? You can shirk all that. All right, just <laughs> date a Puerto Rican, bro. I'm telling you, He's every white boy that's confused, especially every Jew bro yeah. that's confused or a Jew boy is date a Puerto Rican. Micah makes a good point. He's a, if he if he defies them, he'll get kicked out. No, of the house. I'm, I'm moving. He still lives with them. No, still then get the out of the house. I'm First off, I haven't told these people. First off, I lived with Danny for a while. I lived in that my, in my house for two months, and I'm moving out this Sunday. I was going to oh, tell yeah? you about that oh, later. Yeah, I'm moving yeah. out That's this great. Sunday. Perfect. Oh, so nice. leave me alone. So it's time to start dating the Puerto Ricans. <laughs> and I guarantee you're moving. Are you moving into an SRO? Yes. Yeah, I no guarantee you, there's Puerto date, Ricans yeah. there. There's yeah, Puerto, yeah. I'll yeah. Date and they're and they're, and they're, they're hot, man. They're hot. No, they're just freaky. Ask the, ask the super to hook you up with his they're, daughter. They're, <laughs> they're freaky. They're hot. They're smoking. They'll they'll bang you in a bathroom and not even take their panties off. They just move them over to the side. That's awesome. <laughs> That's exactly what you need. It's a little heat. If this is such a truism, how come you went with a Jewish chick instead of a Puerto Rican chick? Because I don't have the Jew guilt. I don't have all that Jew problems drama behind me. I dated Puerto Ricans, black girls, Mexican girls, white girls, all shapes. Uh, and what are you? What are you? I, I'm a Mick. I'm, I'm, a, right. I'm a Southern uh, Irish guy. All right, you know, and yeah. um, and I've got I've got some black blood in me, but it's been so watered down, yeah. you know, that it's it's just you know it's there, but it's not. I mean, I wish I got the big crank, but I didn't. The only thing I got was bad credit. You know, that's how it goes. But you know, when you live a little bit and like you're out there and you gotta, you know, for me, like coming up in comedy, I was um, slinging grand bags of weed in L.A. to make ends meet, and, and I ain't gonna lie to you, it was never a full gram. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, you just get a you get a certain je ne sais quoi, if you will, about you, about yourself and a swagger that women respond to. I mean, my wife, if you look at, could y'all got the internet here? Not in no, here, no, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, yeah. Um, then go to her website. Wait a minute. All right, your wife has a website. If your yeah. wife is hot, is this before you became loaded or after? No, it, I've been with her for uh, eleven years. This is the girl that they showed on Last Comic Standing. Uh -huh. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful girl, beautiful girl. Beautiful and girl. and when I watched that, I'm sitting there as a depressed fat man. I said, if he can do it, I can do it. And right. you know what? I can't. Wait. Right, you can, <laughs> you can. You have to, you have to dump the the mentality of I'm a loser. Okay, just because okay. you're fat, you're not you're not a loser because you're fat. You're just fat. Other things fat. that are making. All right, <laughs> yeah, you're fat just because you're fat. All right, that's all it is. All right, and you don't uh, just all this. There's so much pressure put on people. Oh, you have to date this person at this level, and you can't outdo yourself. You can't. You should always go for it. I, when, when I was dude, I would ask the hottest chick in the bar first, and then work my way down. Wow. Wow. Work my way down. Right, How many rules. down till you got to your wife? You know, <laughs> you know. Uh, in that night, uh, it, it was weird because I didn't even. I wasn't even trying. She was yeah. a comic, and I was trying to help her. She was her first time, and I gave her some static and uh, about having a guitar because comics hate guitar acts, and I married one. Right. All right. Um, yeah. She. Uh, uh, she uh, is funny. She wasn't doing parodies, and um, and she she had actual punchlines in the jokes, so I didn't mind. You know, I, I was like, yeah. I thought it was just you know just another comic to another comic, yeah. and then it just kind of grew, and it was like we well, were talking on the phone, and she was talking about comedy, and it just 
balloon. It, Maybe it, this could happen to me with this new girl, That's Micah. That's what I'm thinking. I was thinking about it last night. I gave you bad advice, you and did. I felt bad about it. I was drunk, me. and I discouraged you. What'd you see, I, I don't met, ever discourage him. He's I said, weak, it, was weak. My own, it was my own oh. issues. I was mm-hmm. my own thing. I was putting on Danny, who was hitting on an incredibly beautiful woman. Yes. And yeah. Good for you. But I want to I want to. Micah said, you have no shot, and as a woman, I could tell you that if a girl is that good looking, they know what they're worth, and you better either be rich or famous before you can get that girl. That's untrue. No, no woman ever knows what they're worth. It just depends on the time of day, time of month, time of the week, uh, her hairstyle, how her hair turned out that day, what she's dressed no. in, what the no, yes, this is right. I am I'm dead on. This is interesting. I am dead on. Keep going. Okay, uh, her shoes, how she feels about herself. Is she bloated that day? Is she not? Is she constipated? All this right, makes these, sense. These, so what oh, I gotta do is I gotta give her a lot of things with salt the day before. Uh, and, no, no, no. You don't have to do any of that. It has to be no, a rainy. That she has messy hair. She has low self-esteem. She's bloated. I move in. Yeah. That's uh, in the winter. Women, I think, are easier to pick up. Yeah, they really do. I think they feel bad, uh, worse about themselves. They've gained a little more weight. Okay. Their legs aren't shaved all the way up. Um, they uh, <laughs> they don't. They there's 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 times and and I think it's a great time. You know, you should be able to go for it. Why not? And I met this girl. She's a, a young comic. She's moved here from L.A. Not just and, that. And uh, uh, really, I'm already crazy about her. I don't know if it's too. You know, I don't and, know if she's listening to this, but no, no, no. Uh, here's, here's the truth. Okay, it's it's never a bad thing to tell a girl straight out. I think you're adorable. What, I would yeah. really like to get to know you. I don't like playing games. I don't have time for them. All right? Yeah. I would like to get to know you better and your person that I think that I could spend my time. I don't have much of it, so it's really valuable to me. So don't play it cool. Don't play it cool. Well, All these games. That you don't have time. That's, no, the, that's he's the right. Don't, part. don't play it cool. Don't. That's how I got my last girlfriend was aggressive right out of the you gates. You got to do it. That's what women want. Right they, don't, the they don't want indecision. Hey, you they stole an intern, Chris. Yeah, yeah that's I'm how you got your last girl. Diana. I'm talking about my current girlfriend. Oh, okay. You know, you do. I think personally that uh, that women want uh, want men to be men, and they're told that they want men to be sensitive and they want everyone to be like you know uh, pacifist and and like you know sensitive to everyone's feelings and everything. Don't women be. really don't want that. Not at all. They they really want uh, a guy to take charge, uh, leave decisions because women have occupy other their minds with other things like what you know things that that could happen could not happen. Happen. Maybe it could happen in the future. Uh, that could um, uh, that may have happened in the past, and outcome, different outcomes therein. I really like right? this. Wait, can't it be truth. both? Can't it be both? Can't they be sensitive and be a decision maker? No. You know what? Uh, I no. I partly agree with him because I remember I took an adult psychology course, and they said that men are task oriented, women are relationship oriented. Right. And I remember, by yeah. the way, going back for a second, not to take anything away from what you just said but uh, I was talking uh, with Patrice O'Neill once yeah uh, about you know he does very well with women and I said well, you know a he's a big guy he's a big guy I said you know I, I do very lousy you know uh, I, I don't I don't have a you know I have a, a short resume yeah and uh I said, you know, uh, how do you, how do you do it? And he said, well, it's different for me and you because if you're big in the black world, that's really sexy. But for you, you're just like a stocky uh, George Costanza white guy. Which I, he said, fat white guys don't do well with women. And I said to him, well, what about Ralphie Mae? I don't know about Ralphie Mae. But I remember you inspired me. Uh, you know, gave me f- false confidence. I'm going to uh, give you. I'm going to do. I'm going to do you uh, great favors. All right, get your eyebrows fixed. 
What's wrong with Get this? your eyebrows fixed, all right, because they're about to meet up. It looks like two <laughs> caterpillars are about to start fighting. My eyebrows? Yeah, get those gone. Uh-huh. Get your facial hair gone. Gone. What? Have you ever seen Have you ever seen a, a film star, movie star, or political candidate with a beard? Any facial hair? They're Sean very Connery. rarely. Brad Pitt has rarely. a scruff. Sometimes. So let me let me tell you yeah. something. What, what happens is if I get rid of this goatee, I look ten. Good. Look ten. <laughs> no. Be ten. I'm telling you. Then you can get look the ten, 10. year olds. No. Look ten. <laughs> I'm not going. Look down ten. Down. Be a cherub. Yeah. Women like it. Okay. All right? But have a manly presence. Yeah. Okay. If you you only look ten because you I, I look like inevitable. Andy Melanakis without the beard. That's what happens. <laughs> it's not bad, dude. It's not bad. Really? All right. It's not bad. And guys, big guys use that as camouflage. Like it's somehow it's going to detract. I mean, it's going to like make them less fat. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't make you less fat. Okay, it just makes you more scruffy. Okay, women want. They, they want. They want. Uh, it's it's a physical appearance. It's just the instant grab and go for it. Ask them all out. I would ask every girl out. All right. Huh. And if the worst thing that can happen is they say no. Good, fine. You just you just helped me. Yeah. Now I can move down. And you know what? It's weird. I I never bought a drink a woman before midnight because no woman's ever left a bar with a dude who bought him a drink before midnight. Mm-hmm. Never happened. Don't ever do it. All right. It's a waste of money. And all you're gonna do is end up buying her drinks and her fat, you know, C blocking girlfriend drink. All right. And that's the truth. Okay? So it's okay for him to be fat, just not for the woman to be fat. Do you want to no, hear? No, 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 no. The C blocking. Uh, all right, okay, all right. that's the problem. The fat, <laughs> but you threw the fat part in as a negative thing. No, Let's, no, because the because C- hot girls always bring a fat girl out with them who is the C block, who they tell them before they go out. Okay, you have to be take care of me. You have to. We're a team, okay? I want you to know that that sometimes I get drunk and you just can't let me do crazy things, okay? Yeah. Okay, they put brakes on each other. Yeah. And then that girl, at the end of the night, if she didn't find a black guy to hook up with, all right, <laughs> will always be, they'll, they'll lay this one on you, all right, you, she's been grinding on you on the dance floor, all right, yeah. the whole night, all right? Yeah. Things are going good. You've made out with her a little bit on the dance floor, a little touchy-feely, ooh-hoo, what's this? Oh, yeah. my God. Um, and uh, and then at the end of the night, she goes, we came together. We have to leave together. Uh-uh, big girl. We got the hell out. <laughs> no, we don't. You know, beat it, C-block. I, I, I want to read right? you a series of very sad text messages between me and this uh, girl. Uh, not the girl I'm talking about uh-huh. now. This other girl comic. Uh, uh, very beautiful black girl that I've had a thing for for a long time. Oh, yes. And, uh, uh, two, two boys do great with black girls. Not me. I've been trying. <laughs> uh, so uh, I want to read you how pathetic these this texts pathetic, are. This is pathetic because this woman has already had a baby. Yeah. No father. Yeah, you think can, she'd can be we, like... Can we, yeah, okay. Before, before we go into the text messages, a little history with this particular girl. Yeah, she's likes, a bitch. Wait, nah, no, no, no that's not... Listen, girl, that's, I don't want to badmouth her. No, no. This particular girl likes thuggy gangster guys. I'm like, a Thuggy you gangster not, you're guy. Not, you're not at all. Sorry, no, you're yeah. not at all. No, you're not. I write, how you are you? Right she goes, bat, good. Uh, you got to know that. So I, she go, I write, how are you? She says, good. Uh, then I write her, you're so beautiful. And she goes, thanks. And then I write, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to take you out sometime. And she writes, you have no money. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, all right. Right there's your problem. I, before the no money yeah. and before her response. You asked a girl out on a text message? Uh, well, no, 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 no. This is not a no, first no, no, time. No, no, no. I've asked her out in person a million times. You asked This is a girl not the out. initial asking it out. It doesn't matter. 
You never, if you. Okay. I just keep pushing the agenda. That's why. Tax. Okay, you're uh, not voicemail. pushing the agenda. Uh, you're annoying. I know. And you're disrespectful to her. Disrespectful. Ah. Yes. Because you're just text messaging. Well, no, like, because she doesn't the have the minutes. In. She doesn't have the minutes. That's why I tried to do it I don't want to hear no minutes. Phone. It's I true. I called her and she said, text me because no minutes. Then, then you know what? Go to wherever she's at a job, a phone, a landline. I'll call you for free. Okay. All right? All right. If you if you want to spend time with that girl, yeah. then you have to give her the respect. Or you go to her. I've done and that you too. Say, hey, I would like to take you out on this time. Yeah. All right. You say don't. But the fact that she says I got no minutes, that's a blow off. That means white boy, leave me alone. Yeah. Oh. Damn it. All she right. goes, you have no money. I wouldn't feel right taking what what little money you have when it's going to go nowhere. And I wrote, how does she I was know you have no on, money? Because she knows me. You know how? the circuit. You know how I'm doing stand up. She knows me. Right. I wrote, I wasn't going to spend money. Would have been a cheap date. We would have gone to the park. She said it's freezing. I said yes. <laughs> I said it would have been a freezing cold park date. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, you're, you're, you're not selling yourself right, Brad. No, this isn't good, is it? Okay, <laughs> museums are, uh, a lot of museums are free. They're warm, they're open. It's a great walk. It's inside. Yeah. There's you a, get to there's look a ton smart. of stuff. You museums, get to look smart. Sure. Yeah. You get to get to show her something different. You know, um, you can go to uh, what was it, a bodega and, and for 20 bucks have a lunch. Okay, mm-hmm. it might not be the greatest lunch of all time, but you put in some effort mm-hmm. and you can go there and, and even though they say no food or drink in the museum, I'll just pitch it. I, I've done that where I had a backpack and I didn't have any money and uh, I put a blanket in there and $20 worth of food and uh, like an $8 bottle of wine. All right. And I went and had the whole date and it was awesome for under 30 bucks. Wow. Yeah, all right. And, and you know what? Women like it because they don't mind if you're broke if at a certain point like your age okay yeah. they wouldn't mind you yeah. being broke they get it as long as you have plans you have initiative and you have heart I have that alright then okay, plans and right. initiative plans and initiative and you gotta have heart uh, you gotta you gotta force the issue okay. but you can't expect a woman to be with you when all the effort you put into getting her to be with you mm-hmm. is sending her a text well that wasn't it I've tried a lot of things I showed up I then, made her then, a lunch then, once I then, cooked her a lunch you know at her what? own place then you know what yeah Move on. That one ain't it. Hummus. Huh. Yeah, you, you, got, you move on. You got to move on from. Yeah. Well, I am moving like, on. on. That's I mean, why I'm saying this new girl might have. There might doing, be something there, but Danny, you know, I, I'm going to try. Danny, you've been doing comedy great. for. We've, we've all been doing comedy for so long. Like he's what he's trying to say is, it's like if you got a joke that isn't working, how many times are you going to do that joke and just yeah. expect it to work? Drop it. Point. Write a new joke. This is it That's makes it, sense you to know. me in comedy terms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got I got more questions for you. Let's get off this topic. I think I think I'm I'm needed. On this topic, you are needed. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm really needed. And, and you know what? It's kind of you could probably have a whole lecture series for for big guys such as myself on how to not, get not even how to just do big this, guys, you know? uh, guys who think so little of themselves that they're not worthy of other women. If that's your problem, you could then put I can something help together you. at the learning annex and uh, you I would sell put, out. I, think, I can you know? uh, I can fix guys. It's gonna be like a Donald Trump real estate thing, you know? <laughs> I can fix them. I can fix them. But you, guys, you have a lot of good advice. I have a lot of good advice because I've lived it, and and I was getting women at. at Nearly seven hundred pounds. You and were at your at your most. It says you were eight hundred. pounds. I was close to eight hundred. Now, yeah. are these? Do you think these women are like normal women? Like, are they got some like self esteem things, or they're just like any woman you could get at seven hundred pounds? That's what I thought. Wow. Yeah, and and you know the reality was is I I just got the amount of women I needed. 
you know. Um, so I don't know if I could get them all, but that's the mentality is yeah. that you can do it. And if you can do it, I mean, you know, it, it sounds cliche, but if you believe it enough, uh, you can you can make it happen, whatever whatever that goal is. If your goal is to get the most beautiful woman in the world, then you can do it. Wow. All right. It's just how do you do that? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you're a stand up comic now and you're young and stand up, but you've got a radio gig and you're right. moving up. Yeah. Um, these are all positive moves. Okay. All right. You're doing the right things to set yourself up in a position. There's certain times in life where men want everything, but you can't have everything. Your plate right. is full. Uh, you got you got a radio show that you're doing full time, five days a week, and you're prepping. You've got to come in before and come in afterwards. Okay. Say afterwards, you got meetings, and then you've got uh, your various uh, spots that you've got to work the phones and hit up. Right. And you've got to you know you've got to glean information to write more material. Sure. All these things add up to almost a full plate. Right. So what you have left, you don't have much time. And you don't have much time to play these games and worry about this and do all this unless yeah. it's fodder for other things such as, you know, your stand up or your radio show or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to do that and date just to do that, but you have a microphone. That's right. Why are you having any problems? I know. With women. It's ridiculous. At all. No, okay, I'll you have a microphone. You, I, I think I know what it is. Danny is a very particular guy as well. He gets strong up. How can you be picky, stupid? I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Well, I, uh, what I mean, I, I worked my I worked my way up on the no, way. No, no. Yeah, I started. You cannot be picked. Oh, rough, rough. Beggars <laughs> can't be choosed. I, I, I don't mean. Well, I see you. You've got a great, uh, beautiful wife, and she's no. you know. Comic. Right. Uh, I, I want that for me. No, you know, I don't want to pick anything. Rough. Yeah, but work your way up. Hold learn on, how to learn up. how to get the five what, what, before what? you can that, learn how to get the ten. That's right. not what I meant exactly. It's not that he's got like a specific type of woman. It's just if he finds a woman that he likes, that's the woman. Period. He that's, gets obsessed and can't yeah. think well, creatively. Well, you know, focus is not a negative thing. Yeah. Focus is not a negative thing. I mean, if he has focus and determination, heart. They're not negative things. But you have to understand that you know there's only so much you can put into uh, you know a beater up car before it's you know yeah. the, you have to cut your losses. That's right. And I think this girl, the text message, the text girl, message girl, it's over. I it's can't over. do it anymore. You're done. You're done. Yeah. You know, just, just go for other ones. I mean, there's tons of women. It's well, New well, this York. New, this new girl that I met, I'm New very York. very excited about her. Very happy. Uh, I, I'm optimistic. Let's say okay. I'm Optimism a, is wonderful. Right. You know, that, that, that's a that's a trait that is in short uh, in short supply in New York. She, it, a, this is yeah. this is the home of the pessimists. She's a wonderful okay? girl. She's not from New York. She's not exactly, yeah, and know. that's why she's going to gravitate to people who are optimistic. I'm optimistic. Who, who half upbeat. The time, yeah. Okay, half the time. You see what I'm saying? All right. You always have to add that little. <laughs> I'm not New even York optimistic that, about how optimistic. See, I the, I the, am. This is the problem <laughs> I have with with, uh, with with New York comics in general. Yeah. is their general. Pessimism and, and negativity, yeah. and and their misery. Why should you be miserable? You're doing the greatest job in yeah. the greatest city in the world with the smartest, greatest audiences in the world. Yeah. Why are you bitching? All I do, I go to the cellar. That's why I don't even go down there anymore. Is they're all negative, they're all bitching yeah. about how crappy their careers are. Sure. Really? That's all. I really? Know. Yeah. At that table, I see guys who do HBO. I see guys who do uh, at shows on comedy. 
Comedy Central. I see guys who have these. These you have nothing to bitch about. Yeah. You know who's happy is the road comic who's working for Dave Stroop as a feature act for two weeks in Columbus. Yeah. He's ecstatic because he realizes I could be tarring roofs. Yeah. I could be changing transmissions. I could be doing real work. Yeah. Right. And I'm not. I get to. I get to make people laugh. That's beautiful. All right. And and these guys, they they just they just it's a it's a cancerous thing. You know. I blame it all on David Tell. <laughs> it's not even David Tell. Sitting all miserable and everybody looks up to him. It's all Dave's fault. You know, I I I, I have uh, I have issues with Mr. Attell yeah. because of his uh, gentle uh, lack of I mean uh, couth and uh, his negative <laughs> I mean, his negativity and his misery. What makes him great is and his tolerance of people who just try to uh, emulate him. There's there's nine thousand Xeroxes of David Tell in this town. Yeah, and why? Enough. You know, uh, why don't some of you guys, I don't know, maybe listen to Hicks. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, I don't know, uh, to try and find somebody else. Good transition to yeah. my next question. You yes. opened for Sam Kennison? Uh-huh. Yeah, wow. I worked with Sam Kennison, Bill Hicks, um, uh, Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor. Do you have any crazy really? stories uh, with Kennison or anything? Yeah, man. I've got a, the, the first one. I mean, the, the now you didn't do coke most... with Kennison, did you? Because no, no, but I was there in the room when he did it. You could uh, at, a, at, at your weight, it would be like a death sentence to do coke, right? <laughs> well, you know, you would think that, but I've I've never done it for that very reason. But yeah. um, uh, no, I wasn't that big then. Um, I was uh, seventeen. I was going to uh, high school and college at the same time, University of Arkansas, okay, in Fayetteville High, and I. Uh, it was uh, 1989. Mm-hmm. I won a stand-up contest from the local radio station, K-Hawk, to open up for um, Sam. He was doing the uh, uh, ballroom at the University of Arkansas. Wow. And uh, 3,500 people. I won. I'd uh, done stand-up like three or four times, and um, I won the stand-up contest. And we uh, did... Uh, uh, we were in the ride over in the limo to the venue, and Sam's like, kid, are you nervous? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm not nervous. And he goes, kid, there's going to be 3,500 people there tonight, and nobody paid to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, maybe I'm a, I'm a little nervous. Well, do you have a good closer? And I go, uh, what's that? I did, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And he goes, uh, well, closer's a big joke at the end of your set. You know what? I'll give you one of my old ones. Just start yelling at the audience. <laughs> the more you yell at them and curse them out, the more they'll love you. Sure. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, I was uh, about. Uh, I was supposed to do seven minutes, and I was I was I was killing for the like first four four and a half, okay. just crushing. And I flipped a punchline in a setup. Uh-huh. Joke fell, and I didn't have the confidence to just move past it as you do sometimes, right. or, or, or admit to them that hey, I just messed that joke up. Yeah. All right. And I did the next joke with no confidence, and my joke failed. Right. And I was sweating. I, I was hearing the sweat form all over my body, and. And um, I just, you know, clicked on what he said, and I'm like, start yelling at the audience, "Hey, you stupid inbred Ned Beatty! <laughs> y'all bang your mothers! I, uh, you know, y'all just, you know, just this plethora and litany of, uh, of curses." And um, 3,500 people in unison, boo! <laughs> All right, I start to well up a little bit and leave stage. Okay? Oh boy. 
Sam, without any fanfare, no introduction, nothing, comes running out on stage going, can you believe that kid coming out here and talking to you good people like that? He will never be in comedy again. He's going to die. Oh, oh, oh. All right. And now, and I'm, I'm really crying because you have the top guy in comedy, the rebel, the top guy in comedy saying that you'll never be in comedy again. Yeah. I, I honestly uh, went to a pay phone. That's how long ago it was with no cell phone. Yeah. Right, unless you had a suitcase. I, and, uh, I went to a pay phone and was going to call my mom, collect to come pick me up. Because remember, I just rode a limo over from Shakey's Pizza where we had the contest. Yeah. And um, uh, Bill Kennison, Sam's brother, comes over, hangs the uh, phone up and goes, kid, Sam thought that was the funniest thing he's ever seen. He never thought you'd have the guts to do it. You set him up perfect. Would you like to come with us to the after party? Man. Sure. We were at a party. Um, in the penthouse of uh, like the one nice hotel in Fayetteville and um, there's uh, just like uh, strippers and local celebrities and and DJ guys and there's rails of blow that are um, nine inches long mm-hmm. uh, and super thick all over the place. Me, I'm drinking my first beer out of a red cup, yeah. uh, you know, and pouring half of it out. Uh, Sam <laughs> comes out of a room, uh, does a bump, uh, well half a line, and and he goes, um, hey, "Kid, why don't you order some pizza?" All right, that's how much of a degenerate cokehead he was. He could eat and do coke at the same time. Okay, all right. So I uh, I called Shakey's, the my guys over there. They brought over ten pizzas. Sam paid for the pizza and then tipped the guy three little baggies of coke. <laughs> Thirty minutes later, we get a phone call. Hey, you guys need more pizza? <laughs> you need some more pizza? We can run it up to you, no problem. Awesome. But Ralph- he's the one who told me to move to Houston. He's the one who told me to do it. And through him, I met Bill. Hicks, I uh, got in with a lot of great people. I wish I had more time with you. Hold on, let me just try this one more time. Hello. Hey, it's uh, Brian Posehn. Hey, Hey, Brian, Brian. how are you? Good, how you doing? We're in the studio with with Ralphie May. Do you know Ralphie? Yeah, we've met. Yeah, several times. Yeah. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, man. How you doing? Living the dream. Trying to. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) So, are you playing in New York? Are you playing in New York this weekend? Yeah, at Gotham Comedy Club. All right, on. Right on. How about you? Where are you at? I'm at Comics. This is I good. I don't have to do any of the plugs. It's all getting done. No, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> do you have two shows tonight or three? Two. Two? We- three tomorrow or no? Two just. Just doing the two. I always say no to three. You're doing the three. No, no, no. I was just, I was kind of trying to come over and uh, catch a set. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, the three time. shows I can't do, man. That uh, kills me. <laughs> I, it's so funny. Comics always say that, it, and it does. It exhausts you. Yeah. But on face value, oh yeah, I had to stand up there and tell jokes. <laughs> oh, I just couldn't do that. And, and, and we're in our audiences. They all work ten, nine, eight hours a day. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's like hilarious. <laughs> it really only adds up to being like two hours on yeah. stage. <laughs> like, ooh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm burned out, man. I'm a stoner and I'm fat and lazy. I don't want this is way too close to real work. <laughs> well, I'm doing it for them because I know I'd be I'd be awful if I didn't my last third show. You know, I'd be out of my mind. It gets a little bit much like that. I hadn't gone back and listened to that in its entirety since we recorded it. And boy, oh boy, what a time capsule. Looking back at it, I've come a long way with my self-esteem. A lot of that's due to Ralphie, who helped me build it up. And uh, as the story continues, you'll sort of hear it unfold in these podcasts. But 
He took me under his wing from that day. And I got to tell you, I interviewed over a thousand comedians on Comical Radio. And other than Ralphie May, only Robert Kelly, they were the only ones who, who said, let me give you a chance. I'll give you a shot. Come, come and get on the road with me, make a few bucks and develop into a comedian. And I'm grateful to those two guys for doing that. But Ralphie took it even one step farther, as you'll hear as we go on this this journey. But wow, what what a what a trip going back and listening to that. Another thing it makes me think is how freaking funny Micah Fox is. Man, she was funny then, she's funny now. So sharp and fearless and uh, the only woman in the room. And yet holding it down, boy, she was, uh, she's funny as hell. I'm lucky to have worked with her and Dave and Chris, you know, the whole thing. Wow. That's what I did with my 20s. That's where they went. 35 now, just had a birthday, getting old, getting old and uh, still trying to figure something out. Haven't figured it out yet, but boy, I wish Ralphie was still around. I'd ask him advice, you know? As you can see, he became the advice man right from day one. He took that position as soon as he walked in there. And that's how he was for years and years to come. He was somebody who I could count on, who I could turn to. And, uh, well, here, here's an interesting little clip. This is, uh, I told you we did a video intro and a video outro with the guests when they would come and when they would leave. And this is Andrew Schultz walking Ralphie out of the building with the video camera and talking to him about his experience on the show. So how was it? It seemed like you were having fun I really there. did. I had a great time. You I know? think you gave Danny some great advice. I think he needs more. I think uh, he would uh, do really well if he opened up for me for a weekend where I could talk to him. Where I you think I might, give him a, I might give him a shot. You should, man. I think I might. It's on, it's on video I right now. Funny. If he stinks, I, I don't want him. Is he funny? He's funny. Go check his videos out. All right. I will. The man, Ralphie May. Bye, guys. Peace, guys. True to his word, he did go and check out my clips, and I got a call one day. Daniel Bell, Ralphie May. I went and, uh, you know, I watched the videos. You're funny as hell. Someone need to take you on the road, boy. Someone got to take you on the road. I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you. Open up your calendar right now. I got some dates for you. Okay. I got some dates. Okay. And I got I got bananas in Hasbrook Heights coming up. And then I got bananas for Kipsy. You ever play bananas? No. No. I'm going to now. You're going to play them. I think you're funny. I think you're ready. And before you know it, I became Ralphie's East Coast opening act. Anytime he'd come to the East Coast, to New Jersey, to Connecticut, to New York, to Pennsylvania. I get a call, Dan LaBelle, open your calendar. Ralphie May, baby, gonna make you some money, gonna help you get that rent. I really relied on those gigs to survive. When they came around, they'd get me through the year. When I showed up to that first gig at Bananas in Hasbrook Heights, I was greeted by Ralphie's touring manager at the time, a guy named Steve Lee, who would go on to be one of my great friends to this day. Let's give Steve a call. Hey, Steve. So, you know, I'm calling you because I'm doing this episode remembering Ralphie. And you and I were on the road with him. You were his tour manager. And those are some of my happiest memories in my whole life. Yeah, man. We had a good time. We really did. And 
you know, it's not only was Ralphie so so generous and, and so fun to be on the road, but the juxtaposition between what I was coming from, I was living in like real squalor in Brooklyn with gangster neighbors and violence going on in the hallway and just abject poverty. And to go from that to like being on the road in these luxury hotels with Ralphie getting to perform for these amazing audiences and getting to spend time with him and his jovial happiness for me was like, you know, taking a kid right out of Africa and putting him in Disneyland. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, there's good parts of Africa too. Sure. <laughs> Johannesburg is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so what comes to mind when you think back on that time? Well, you know, you know, I really, uh, I, I really got to know that the day to day of what was going on in his life, and um, you know, one thing that I think uh, really sticks out to me the most is just how consistently kind he was to his fans, and and really just strangers in general. I mean, in, like um, you know, the, the countless times when we'd be getting coffee, he'd pay for the person behind us uh, or the person in front of us. He was always. Um, he was just so good kind of to everyone around him, you know, sometimes to his detriment to, to really, you know, he always wanted everyone to be uh, having a good time, be taken care of. And, um, he really, really enjoyed just being around people. And, um, it, it, it really didn't matter if they knew who he was or not. He just loved, he just loved the interaction with people. Didn't he used to say that he wanted to put in at least as much time on stage as it would take the average person to pay for the ticket? Yeah, I mean, he'd spend two and a half hours on stage sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. And and there were times when he, he'd be like, okay, watch this. Tonight I'm going to do a whole different hour. A whole different, I mean, it was more than just a couple hours. He And there would be shows where I would see him do completely brand new, different material than he did uh, the show before. Um, and it wasn't like, it, you know, it wasn't like it was 45 minutes. It, 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 it legitimately, he would spend sometimes two, two and a half hours on stage. And, um, you know, he... Uh, he just was, um, he, you know, he, he was just very, um, he was just so kind to his openers, you know, and he loved, I mean, he loved you so much. He, um, I remember, uh, I remember when I, we were, when, before I even met you going on, he was like, you really gotta like this little bell kid. He's, he's really funny. And he, uh, I, I, his favorite joke of yours was, uh, the polar bear joke, the Coca-Cola polar bear joke. <laughs> <laughs> he loved that joke. You know, it was uh, he had a, he had an amazing ability to really make people like really build people up very in a very short amount of time. And you know, I, I, when he when he did pass, I was I was kind of looking through people's posts, and there's so many people that were like, you know, Ralphie gave me twenty bucks when I needed it, or like there were just there's so many stories of him helping people out that I don't think we'll 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 we will ever really know, you know? Yeah, and and the, um, the things he would say to us when we were on the road. I mean, he must have been a mental level genius, right? Yeah, I would definitely say he was a genius, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he had a grasp on, on life and on humanity that I've never seen from anybody. Yeah, he had a way of, um, which is really, I think was really fascinating about him, was that he was able to cut through kind of the, the, the bull, you know, kind of cut through just the weeds and kind of get to the point of the matter of what you needed to do in your life to certain people at least. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what it, kind of part of his um, own personal um, struggles were was just because he, 
you know, obviously struggled with his own weight and he knew what he needed to do to do to do it, but had had that issue, you know. Didn't he used to call you Sleevy? He well, he called me Stevie. Um, he was the only one ever. He called me Stevie or Sleevy, and because uh, my nickname's Sleeve, and um, <laughs> and he was, you know, he was. It was great, you know. At one point, he was like, "I, I would love to 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 train you to be a, a stand-up comedian." I was like, I, "You know, not for nothing, Ralphie. Uh, I don't want that life." <laughs> I was just like, "I don't want. I don't, I don't want the. It's not worth it." But you know, he was. Um, yeah, he used to call me sleep, and he loved the fact that because I'm uh, I'm uh, half Korean, and he loved the fact that he had an Asian driver. That was one of his favorite things to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> he loved that, uh, and uh, I was always very sure to to uh, be a good driver, just so I don't uh, perpetuate the stereotype. You know? Yeah, I remember once he took us to a Steelers game. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sweatshirts and terrible towels, and got us right on the field. And took one of the waitresses who was from, you know, this real poor Pittsburgh family, you know, blue collar. Yeah. That could have, you know, it meant the world to her to go to a Steelers game. And for her to get right there on the field was like, you know, making a dream come true. It was like a make a wish yeah. foundation for everybody who met. <laughs> well, I, I remember, well, first off, it's, I mean, it's insanely hard to get Steelers tickets in Pittsburgh. It's crazy. Like one of my one of my closest friends is a uh, is a is a crazy Steelers fan. He's never even been to a game. And uh, I remember because he 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 would be, he he loved obviously loved the Steelers. And um, we went and did radio, and um, uh, he was trying to get tickets to the uh, to the Steelers game. So he went to uh, Pittsburgh uh, sports radio, and he was like, he was yelling, I was like, I need tickets. Call me back. You know, because there's some guy at the Steelers. Um, organization that uh he he uh he dealt with but yeah i mean he uh he got us i mean we were front we were on the on the field and bought us all uh, uh steelers um steelers gear and took us to steak dinner the night before and um i mean he, there were countless times he did that i mean you know he one reason we connected so quickly is we're both from arkansas and uh he loved he loved the fact that I was from Arkansas and that he we could kind of talk about you know back talk about the state and kind of back home and I there's certain things that you just under, if you're from Arkansas you just get and one of the things that we both mutually loved was the Arkansas Razorbacks and um, that year the Razorbacks got into the Sugar Bowl and he bought um, you know he bought his whole family tickets he bought me a ticket and he even bought my brother a ticket because my brother was playing and he's like ah, I'll got him I'll pay for it and you know he. Um, you know, he was just so um, he he loved family and was generous, and 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 it was just kind of um, you know, it was it, it's it's something that I strive to do now is to you know I'm you know I work in um, uh, you know I, I I make music and have a radio show now and um, and I'm starting to get a fan base and I and it really just it really just I strive to be uh, as generous as he was to his fans and to uh, the people around him. Likewise, I mean, I learned it from him. And I, I constantly try to model the way I interact with my fans off of him. Sure. Well, it was just, um, it's, you know, that uh, the time he put in, I mean, and that's the thing too, people don't understand. Like, that guy worked so hard. I mean, and then maybe that's a reason for whatever went down, but, um, you know, he worked, um, he, you know, the amount, the times that we would be getting up to go do radio or the, the, the days we spent flying early to go do morning radio was crazy. And uh, his work ethic was really, um, I learned a lot about working hard too from him and really not, 
not taking it, um, taking for granted the, um, just the entertainment life and being, being able to do, uh, to do a job that you love to do. Um, and there were just, I mean, there were times that we would sleep a couple hours and then go do radio. Then, uh, he'd do a couple shows at night and then we'd do the whole thing over again. So his passing away really hit me harder than I, um, than I really expected, you know? And, um, he had a bigger impact on my life than I guess I really realized. And, um, it's been, uh, I mean, I think one good thing about, um, because he was so beloved by so many people that you can kind of share the mourning process with so many people, even though you don't know them at all. You can, you can go online and watch what people said about him. You can go on, you can listen to podcasts that people, um, people with, uh, people made in honor of him like you're doing right now. But, you know, it's really, um, it's, it was, it was kind of crazy to see how beloved he was from everybody, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it was just really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad and, and the world lost a really great, a really great person. And, um, you know, as great as he was on stage, he was just as great off stage too. Even better in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Just, and, and you know, this, but the funny thing is I remember him telling me stories sometimes. I'm like, man, that's not, that just doesn't seem true. And then after listening to some podcasts of people, like they would tell these crazy stories about him and, you know, <laughs> like crazy stuff just happened to that guy. It was just wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a one one in a in a billion type of personality. Uh, I think about him a lot, and um, he he really was, um, you know, he really helped me out. And you know, I, I, I you know, I'm I'm a musician, and I, I say, I'm a fake tour manager basically. And uh, you know, he was able to put some money in my pocket and give me some self confidence, and and um, I just learned, uh, you know, just to just to be able to like feel like your life's going one way, you meet someone and it, and it sends you a different direction. And because of him, I was really able to, um, take myself to the next level. And, uh, it was just a really, um, I, and I can't, I, I can't thank him enough. I mean, the last exchange I had with him, I, we were talking about, um, Arkansas, we were talking about, he was asking how music was going. And I said, man, it's going great. I, I have a show on the radio now. And he was just, um, he was genuinely happy for me. And, um, you know, it was just really, uh, you know, there's just so many things I think back and think about, um, kind of learn by example through him. Thanks for sharing, Steve. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, I, um, you know, as I said, you know, he, he, he really loved you and he, uh, he loved being around you and loved, um, you know, I, those are some of the, my favorite times being on the road too, because I know we, we, we did like the Northeast and we, um, um, you know, we were in the, we were, we drove around an Escalade for a week or two, and um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, just having just um, hearing you two guys talk about jokes and, and dissecting jokes, and um, and uh, you know, I remember he was always he always wanted you to eat bacon. It was a big thing for him, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he was like, think about. I guess you're talking about eating turkey bacon, and you're like, yeah, but think about that, but it's better. You know, it was just amazing to. Um, he just had so much love for you and, um, you know, it's, um, uh, I, you know, I'm really glad that just because of him, our paths got to cross and, you know, we became friends and, um, and, uh, really just, um, you know, love, uh, there's been so many people I've I've got to know through him. So it was just, um, man, I just, I'm really glad that you were able to, um, you reached out and asked me to do this because it's nice to just kind of reflect and talk to you about that for a second. Yeah, thanks for doing it. And uh, likewise to what you said, I'm so glad to have you in my life that he put us together. Yeah, man. 
Steve Lee, the great Steve Lee. Go check out his music. Go Google him and put him into YouTube. He's really great. And so it went. I'd call Ralphie all the time, and he'd call me, and I'd ask him for advice, and I'd tell him what I'm working on. He'd be like, Dan LaBelle, you funny motherfucker. Dan LaBelle, you're going to do it. I believe in you. I believe in you. You got that star quality, Dan LaBelle. You can do this. Even though I didn't believe in myself, Ralphie did it for me until one day I started listening to him and said, hey, you know, Ralphie's pretty freaking smart, and if he believes in me, maybe I should believe in me too. He built my confidence up. The next clip we're going to listen to, I was now co-hosting a show that I helped Joe Matarese create. This is when uh, I started, I think, maybe the second or third ever podcast network. Didn't last very long. It was the Comical Radio Podcast Network, and it had a few shows under the umbrella. It was Comical Radio, Fixing Joe, Too Much Information with Dan and Dan, which was me and Dan Natterman. And Chris Iacono's show, Live from Grandma's Basement. And it was my job to book all these shows, except for Chris Iacono's show. And uh, Joe Matarese had asked me to get Mark Marin, And I called Mark, and he said he'd do it. And the day came around, and I don't remember why, but he couldn't make it. And he, he forgot to call and tell us. And Joe was angry, and he's like, Danny LaBelle, I was expecting you to book um, Mark Marin. What happened? You're going to have to find somebody now. And uh, I called up Ralphie, and he's like, no problem, Dan LaBelle. You got it, baby. I'll do it right now. Just put me through. Come on. We could do this thing. Joe Matarese needs some fixing up. I'll fix him. I'll fix him. I'll help him out. And the topic of the day was uh, Joe was thinking about having a second kid. And because Ralphie had just had his second kid, uh, Ralphie was going to uh, talk to him about this big decision in his life. So let's take a listen to this episode from Fixing Joe from the original Comical Radio Podcast Network. Okay, so it occurred to me, Ralphie has two kids, and he balances it pretty well. He has a, a career, Ralphie May. Hi, so, everybody. So we have uh, Ralphie on the line with you, Joe. Dude, thanks so much. You saved us. Yeah, right. You're like the Mariona Rivera. We just, like, found you. I don't know. He doesn't, <laughs> Ralphie doesn't even know the situation. Mark oh, Marin, he doesn't. Mark Marin flaked out on us. He was supposed to be on, and he just... Cut out, and he's not here. So we had no guest, and he was supposed to help uh, Joe discuss this. Yeah, you go on the road with Danny LaBelle. I mean, you, well, I go on the road with Ralph. He goes on the road with you. <laughs> can we? Can we? I, I was blaming Danny for a second in my mind. I'm like, oh, why did I let him control my important situation? Why did I do that? I shouldn't trust Dan LaBelle. But, but he's got. Is those kid, are those kids in the background? Those are Ralphie's kids. Yeah. Are you home in California right now? Yeah, I'm at home in L.A. Right oh, so now. thank that. Thank God you're a parent because that means you got up at six. Yeah, I got up at, uh, early and went to bed late after doing stand up. You know, what, what really suffers. I mean, yeah, your career takes a hit. You know, when you have kids and you're. I mean, Joe, is your wife a comedian as well? No, my wife is a psychologist, and the show's oh. called Fixing Joe, whereas my, my guests all kind of try to spin me into a better place. You know, I come at it with a different issue every, yeah. every episode. And uh, we last week was all about wanting to have a second kid because I already have a three-year-old. Uh -huh. But this week it's more about uh, disconnecting and, and, and really obsessing on my career and then uh, neglecting my wife and my son. And then if I go and spend a ton of time with my wife and son and have great moments, I feel my career starts fading. And I don't know how to evenly weigh those two things. 
Well, I mean, that that's the that's the dilemma of every man in any career. You know, I mean, family, you know, but the Godfather said it best, family comes first, you know. I mean, the, my my wife's career's taken a hitch. My wife's a stand-up comic, you know. Oh, yeah. She she had to, you know, do basically 3 years of of uh, breastfeeding and uh, and uh, birthing babies, you know, continuously and in spite of it she's continued to grow our career but you know financially we're lucky because you know we, we make enough money to, to afford nannies and help and and a road manager sleevey you know my uh, my asian road manager steve mm-hmm. you know i mean it's it's just that you know we we're, we're very fortunate you know that that's the only thing i can say is you need help so i was going to ask you do you recommend because i heard like robert kelly on your last show danny last week and he was talking about having an assistant and i was like is he making enough to have an assistant or is he just one of those guys it's like i'll write that off at the end of the year i kind of i need somebody who does all that stuff like sometimes you can just spend the money that you don't really generate right. to make yourself make more in a couple years well, that's what happens. I mean, you know, in stand-up, you have to invest in yourself. You know, you have to get a publicist. You have to stay on top of it, you know, and um, it's it's hard. But when, before- for me, I, I needed, we, we needed help, you know. I mean, my wife, I, I didn't want my children to be the biggest regret in my wife's comedy career, you know. Right. And, and so that's why we have help. But we're actually in between nannies now, and it's difficult, you know. I mean, we have meetings with uh, a studio that wants to buy a show from us tomorrow, and we, we had to cancel because we don't have any babysitting help. Yeah, that's another thing. These people in the business don't understand it. Like once I was working uh, at a club, and uh, I said, you know, I can't do the radio because I watch my son. Like we didn't have uh, – my wife didn't have um, – uh, maternity leave when yeah. we had our first son because she was still a, uh, becoming a PhD and uh-huh. she, was, she was in this position where she got like a month of uh, maternity leave. So I was literally watching my son all day and they just were like, what do you mean you can't do radio? And I'm like, I, I don't know how to put it. You know, you want me to bring a crying baby and have him sitting next to me when I'm in a yeah. studio? Stop. You know, the stuff with stupidity, you know. But luckily, you know, my my wife, when we were going out, she was just at the feature level. Now she's a headliner, and so she goes out by herself now. And, mm-hmm. and she'll take the nanny with her, and the nanny watches the babies while she goes and does radio and stuff like that. But it's tough, man. And let me tell you, Joe, one is not twice the work. It's four times the work. I mean, uh, two, from one to two, mm-hmm. it's not twice the work. It's four times the work. That goes against what your mother-in-law <laughs> said. She said that having a second kid makes it easier on the first no. kid. Yeah, I know no. a guy with five kids, uh, Mitch Williams, who's a f- uh, p- ex-pitcher for the Phillies. He's like a friend of mine. He has five, and he says, oh, man, it's easier with more. And I'm like, no, you're he's crazy. crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> They're all crazy. Let me tell you, dude, it, it's it's hard. And, you know, for me, the the brunt of it is my wife takes the hit, you know, because I have to do radio. I don't have options, you know. I make clubs a month, you know, to make their quarter. You know, I have to go out and make sure a room's sold out, you know. I mean, like we did in Pittsburgh, you know, I got there a day early when Danny and I were working there last month. And it wouldn't have been sold out if I didn't go out there and bust my ass. I got a question for you because we talked a lot about, you know, being able to – you make enough now to, to pay all these people that are helping. Before you won Last Comic Standing, let's go back to – what year was yeah, that? 2003. We'll go back to 2000, maybe two or three. Uh-huh. 
Did you have, well, you didn't, you, you weren't married then. You didn't have a family. No, no. But did you have like an entourage? Did you have uh, people no. on staff that worked for you? No, no. As a matter of fact, my wife and I both um, cleaned Jeff Ross's house. Did you really? You were yeah. his maid? Yeah, we we we, we cleaned we cleaned. Uh, you know, Ross he's he's uh, very paranoid about people in his house, uh -huh. and, and he's very messy. And so we we cleaned his house for him, you know, because we do it. And then I did it for a long time, and I'd make sure that you know, like his um, uh, car was clean. You know, he had a Porsche, and it was always disgusting. It's like, how are you going to pick up girls and that horrible thing? You know, you've got one of the greatest cars of all time, and yet you keep it filthy. <laughs> you know, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, you're right, you're right." So I'd squeeze my big ass into his Porsche. It was like, you know, he made a joke. Uh, it's funny. It's true. It was like when I got out of it, it was like, "Look at that Porsche getting out of that Porsche." You know, that's what it looked like. <laughs> you know, and and I'd take and get it cleaned and, and take it, you know make sure he had groceries in his in his uh, more than just oat bars and water. You know, in his, <laughs> in, his in his refrigerator. You know, he never had anything. And so I did it, and then my wife did it, you know, and we were just making extra money. You know, we lived off Crenshaw and Adams. If we'd have gotten pregnant then, we'd have had to leave L.A. Jeez. I mean, there's no doubt about it, you know. I was better on, on the backstroke then than I am now, I guess. You know, I lost my timing. I lost my touch. <laughs> I'm wondering also, I mean, you are, mar you are married to a comedian. Now, when you're married to a comedian, you guys can sit around and talk comedy like nonstop, and or maybe we you can't. Can. We don't, right? Does it ever get to the point when you're married to a comedian where she says, "You know, let's"? I don't want to talk about comedy, and I don't want to watch you text and and Twitter people about where you're performing next. You need to shut that off. Uh, well, we, <laughs> Perfect timing. I know that's August. <laughs> August is making a break for it. He heard somebody say something, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm coming too." <laughs> All right, he's 18 months. He's hilarious. He cusses like a sailor. He drops his binky. He yells, "Damn it!" Okay, <laughs> he yells f words at people, stuff like that. Yeah, my and son. And he's, he's a little animal too. He grabs uh, women's butts and grabs the peaches and everything. I mean, he 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 goes for it. At 18 months, he's right there. You know, give him a little goose. Get the spring goose early. He's amazing. Very very funny. But you know, we we do so much, Joe. That that you know, we're so fortunate. You know that we. I don't know why, after the last Comic Standing, I came out of it well, you know. I mean, I, I haven't, you know, I, I can't explain it, you know. I, I don't know why I took off and everybody else didn't. And, and it's a shame because there's a lot of great comedians on that list, uh, guys that actually I think are better than myself, you know. But you're, not to slam everyone that's uh, won or, or came in first, second, or third on last Comic Standing, but you're the only one that I think is... what deserved to win and was a it was a really great comic like there was a lot of guys like as soon as that fan and i'm gonna slam that fan what the hell he gets slammed all the time as soon as he yeah. won i was like <laughs> i can't watch that show ever again like he's the he's the all-time winner and like i yeah. he's unwatchable like how is how, how can I, I can't watch that reality show at least when you watch american idol you go wow like this guy's like i'm i'm into this guy who's winning like i'm actually yeah. like a fan of him you know whereas you know you were so it translated into fans so i'm very fortunate yeah. you know i mean i'm i'm really really lucky the way it, the, it all broke you know i mean the show was a hit you know nbc invested a ton of money in it you know it got emmy nominated 
you know, we were we were very fortunate, you know. And but I also think that we were self aware enough to make it a great watchable show, you know. I mean, I remember Voss and Mordal and you know, Corey Kahaney and myself. We we're all you know sitting around going we have to make this show great because this is our one shot you know i just got turned down for conan o'brien because i was too fat you know i (laughs) when are you ever too fat for comedy (laughs) what when are you ever too fat for comedy that's what i said too but they said i was too fat for their show they couldn't fit they couldn't like pull back the camera they they told us all that dane was pressuring this is like one of the coolest moments i've got one of the coolest stories about dane cook he uh uh, we all showcased. It was a bunch of people. I mean, Pablo Francisco, uh, Dane Cook, uh, um, Mitch uh, Mullaney, um, uh, just Butch Bradley. To, I mean, just a, a murderer's row of comics. Uh-huh. Bob Marley. You know, all these great, great acts. And um, uh, I was the only one. I went up 16th out of 20. I followed Dane, and I got a standing ovation. I was the only one to get a standing ovation the whole night. And Dane was in the lobby, and he goes, so when are you putting Ralphie on? Okay, so, and uh, he goes, I can't. And, the guy, and Dane Cook put him on the spot right there, the booker. He goes, why? Why not? And uh, he goes, well, you know, I mean, he, he did great. You know, of course he did. He got a standing ovation. What are you talking about? And he goes, no, I, I, I can't put him on. He's too big. All right. and, he, and he goes, and the, and the guy, and I was like, "Are you sh- are you serious?" And because I was, I had kind of fallen into the, you know, you know, the the mindset that if you you know, get a standing ovation when you're showcasing for somebody, and you go up 16th out of 20, and 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 you're the only one the whole night to get one, yeah, you should get the show, right? And no, it wasn't the case. It wasn't the case, and it was so funny because I there was only like five people in the lobby, and Dane was one of them, and Dane stood up for me and like. You know this is wrong, and it's wrong about comedy, and uh, you know this this guy earned it. You know, so I got sure. one of the coolest stories about Dan Cook ever. I know Joe was good friends with Artie Lang. Okay? Yeah, we did and, a show together with uh, it was Ralphie, Artie, and myself at the Borgata, right? Yeah, yeah, and my wife In performed, Atlanta, and yeah. it was huge. It was a huge show, and and uh, and Artie was so sweet, and and uh, but he he said that how he was loaded and. He asked me if I wanted anything. You know, he drank a whole bottle of Jack Daniels on the way down and, and stuff like that. But And then I think, honestly, it became too much for him. And then he just, you know, pulled the you know, trigger on it. And, like, right. you know, he'd been slowly trying to kill himself for years, you know. Right. And and then, you know, you, you, you speed it up and, you know, you cut yourself. You know, it happens. You know, comics can't take success sometimes, you know. We don't work well from that angle. We work well from the, yeah. you know, the impoverished to the, uh, you know the 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 victim side. We work better from that side. Right. You know, I'm angry about something. You know, <laughs> well, I I'm keep, worried about. I, something. I keep quoting things throughout this episode before uh, you, you called Rocky. in. But now I, I was quoting a lot of Rocky tonight. But now I'm quoting Jersey Boys. There's yeah. a great line. Jersey Boys is phenomenal, by the way. Like Artie had mentioned it in his book. Yeah, that first you know part of the book where he's yeah. talking about Frankie Valley. Yeah, like yeah. I want to go see Jersey Boys again because it really is what Artie said. It's the Sopranos with a, with an amazing soundtrack you know yeah because there is a line in that in i don't know did you see jersey boys I haven't I seen have. it, no. you have okay so you'll probably remember the line danny didn't see it um where he says uh you know we were i come home from i come home from a show i look at my pocket there'd be 15 girls numbers in there he goes i'm not saying we were all angels but you try selling 15 million records and let's see how you handle it 
Like, yeah. that's so dead on. Like, I used to say, you know, it's easy for me to be faithful to my wife, but if I get multi-huge, I'm going to have to hire a guy to, I can't say the word on, on because we're on FM right now. I'm going to have to hire a guy, basically, to block me, to ruin me. He's, right. he's going to be on staff, and he just messes it up whenever a right. girl's there. dibs on that position. <laughs> yeah, and, and Danny's great at it, by he the way. He would be so, great Let me tell that. you what, Danny's a natural-born C-block. <laughs> I mean, natural. I mean, he is he's well-gifted at that. He, he C-blocks himself when yeah. no one's left in the room. I've seen it happen. It's amazing. All right. and, and getting that awkward, fat Jew dancing is hilarious. <laughs> I highly recommend you see that, Joe. That's awesome. Um, I mean, he, that, that's a C-block in itself. Like, nobody's getting laid. You know, it's the most unsexual gyrations you've ever seen. It's Even like the married guys. That when Jews dance, dance, there's a guy sitting down and he's up in the air. You know what I mean? You know, not dancing. And that's the guy that's dancing the most. It's like, perfect. I mean, uncoordinated. You know, but, um, yeah, well, for me, you know, I, I'm lucky, Joe, because I... Um, I actually love my wife and like, like, you know, I, as much as I get propositioned, I mean, I've had people break into my hotel rooms. Um, I, I've gone into my hotel rooms before and there's a naked girl in there and it's, it's retarded. You know, right. it's like, like what is going on? Well, but, we got, we got to cut you short cause our next, uh, the next show is coming on the air, but dude. Thanks, like a million, like Ralphie May. You're uh, now. You just blew Mark Marin off my top three list because he was in my top three comics, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm all over Ralphie May. So what? What can we promote? What, what gigs you got coming up? What CDs you got um, for sale? In, I'm gonna be in uh, New York in January. I'm gonna be in Poughkeepsie, but uh, I'll be back in the city, and uh, we're gonna come in and uh, do Danny's radio show and uh, hang out. And Joe, uh, maybe we all go see Jersey Boys. It'd be fun. Oh, that would be fun, man. We should that do. Let's set that up. Take Danny Lil Bell over there. Oh, you got to see that. All right. So thanks a lot, Ralphie. All right, guys. Y'all take it easy, okay? Take it well, easy. Thanks. Bye-bye. You saved it, Danny. You saved it by pulling. He was awesome. A, uh, a Probably a legendary episode of Fixing Joe because we had to pull stuff out of our ass, and we got Ralphie May on the show last second. Thanks, Danny LaBelle, for coming and, and, uh, and, and, and saving your ass. Keep listening to Fixing Joe on ComicalRadio.com. You know, one of the uh, only people I was, who was ever able to relate to me in my struggle was was Ralphie May because he went through all these same struggles with being funny but being fat and all the prejudice that you face in this industry for being fat. People don't believe it unless they are it. If I talk to most comedians, they'd be like, oh, that's an excuse. It's a cop-out. But Ralphie understood it because he went through it himself. And you work really hard and these opportunities come around and they take a pass on you because you're overweight and there's a lot of prejudice around that. And then they use the excuse, well, you know, I don't think it's a problem, but I don't think America would like to see somebody that overweight. And I don't think that's true. I think uh, Ralphie proved that wasn't true. And a lot of great comedians have proven that that's not true because a lot of America's fat and it's relatable. Billy Gardell proved it also with that Mike and Molly show. I always think of Billy Gardell as a big inspiration because he was on comical radio once too and he told us, this was right after he got Mike and Molly. He said that he was ready to quit the business and he was going to go be a radio DJ somewhere in some small town. And then the last minute, that came through and that show became such a massive hit. Once again, disproving the fat prejudice. But I remember that Billy Gardell thing kept me going 
for a long time. I still think about it sometimes. But yeah, in that clip, Ralphie talked about not getting booked and how Dan Cook went to bat for him and uh, talks a little bit about me opening for him on the road and how uh, he calls me a big C blocker. But uh, basically, uh, Ralphie helped me get the confidence that eventually led me to picking up my wife. And I remember he used to push me in these hotels we go down to the bar, be like, Dan LaBelle, come on, baby. You got to go down there. You got to dance with the girls. Just go and dance in these hotel lobbies. These girls, they drunk. They saw you at the show, and it never worked. And he used to laugh so hard when I'd strike out. One time I was dancing with this girl, and then Ralph, he comes from behind and starts dancing behind her. And I like to make the, the joke to him that she disappeared, and we didn't realize we were dancing with each other for two hours. <laughs> And we would crack up, but yeah, she she she's she slunk right out of there. But he got it. He understood the the struggle I was going through. And uh and then he was always there for me when somebody wouldn't show up, like when that situation, when Mark wasn't able to make it, Ralphie jumped in and saved me. All right, I think it's time for another phone call. Even though this gentleman I'm about to call. And I never worked on the same show together with Ralphie. We both opened for him. And because Ralphie was the kind of guy who would put people together, he made all his openers into a little community of friends. Let's give a ring to my buddy, Billy Wayne. Billy Wayne. Danny. How are you, baby? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Things are doing life the way I want to. Sam and I both spent many years on and off touring with Ralphie in various parts of the country. Are there any stories that come to mind? I mean, there's tons of stories that come to mind immediately, good and bad, where it's like, oh, we shouldn't talk about that one yet. And then, uh, I mean, I remember the first time I met you in New York City and you were just yelling at hipsters in a way that at first I liked. and then. In the middle of it, I was like, are you okay? Do we need to? Are we? <laughs> and I was like, I like Danny. I think he's unhinged, but I like him a lot. Uh, I don't know what those hipster dudes have done to him, but they need to be careful. <laughs> so how'd you, how'd you and Ralphie meet? Uh, Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville, Tennessee. I, uh, I heard... I'd heard different stuff about him, but I had liked what I'd seen. And uh, then when he came in, he and I just kind of immediately got along. And I was such a comedy nerd. I didn't see him stealing anything like I'd heard. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I just thought this guy had a an odd reputation that I I didn't understand. Which is like the first couple, it was the first instance in comedy where someone's reputation isn't true about who they are. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think Ralphie never got the respect he deserved in so many ways. One of the big things he would always complain about was how Hollywood never gave him any love. I mean, and to Hollywood's defense, we can both say he wasn't a fantastic actor, but one of the truest funniest people I've ever seen, so yeah. No, he didn't. But, and I used to tell him this, and he used to piss him off, was like, you're a better comedian than your material. 
Yeah, I told him the same thing. He wouldn't hear it. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, he wouldn't hear it. And I, I said it a lot to it. Not to disrespect his material in any way. I mean, he was, he, it was almost irrelevant what he said because he saying whatever it was, was always going to make it hilarious. He could have been talking about nothing. Like, do you remember his, um, his bit about cookies that would end racism? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he got away with a lot of stuff because, well, that's, yeah. Yeah. He could get away with anything because he just loved him so much that as an audience member, you didn't really care what he said. You just wanted to hear him talk. It was like, like uh, one of his tour managers, who I, I think you still know, Steve Lee, and I are really good friends still that we met through Ralphie. And he and I are really good friends. And we always talked about that. Like, like especially in this day and time, what Ralphie got away with saying, the way he would say some stuff, we were just like, dude, I, that's, and it was just because he just wanted, I think a lot of times I, he would say stuff, I'm like, I know you don't feel that way at all. Uh, <laughs> like the whole Native American thing, when I was like, I remember him doing that joke, and I was like, dude, that joke is lazy. He's like, it kills. And I was like, it's lazy. And you're better than that. And you don't believe any of it. And he's like, yeah, but it kills. It's so funny. And I was like, but. And then when it got him in trouble, I did send him a text. And he was like, he just, he just said, like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you knew him. So it's just, if you knew him, and I'm not speaking out of place. I mean, anything I said, I say and will say about Ralphie, I said to the man fat face because um, he was one of my best friends for a long time uh, and that's kind of what tore us apart was that sometimes your friends don't want to help themselves and you can't do anything uh, but he was as complicated as he was he was honest about everything even if that contradicted who he was does that make sense yeah. It's a... Do you have an example? I think a better way to describe it is like the thing I think about, like, because he taught me so many different things on the road and about life, whether on purpose or not on purpose. A lot of what he did, I was like, well, I can't do it that way. Um, is he, for all his intelligence, and problem solving had a hard time applying it to himself. And I think above anything else, what he taught me was you you gotta help yourself before you can help anybody else, or you're not really truly helping anybody. Does that make sense? Yeah. Pretty pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. No, and it's it's been a you know, a while and I've written several things that keep changing when I go back to them because of perspective and all that complication with him. And you can die of a broken heart. You really can. I think, you know, when you have like, okay, here's a good example. And he's going to, he's going to, I can hear him laughing his dick off about this example. I'm going to, you know, when someone used to have, 
uh, AIDS, full blown AIDS. That pneumonia is usually what kills them. <laughs> See, perfect Ralphie fucking analogy. Would have loved that. <laughs> that motherfucker had every fucking heart disease and all that shit. It weighed five hundred. He always said I weigh four hundred pounds, and I was like, "Yeah, if you subtract a hundred, yes, you do." Um, <laughs> do you have any memories that stand out? I mean, he was like, for all the lunacy, there was like these. I've never laughed harder with somebody probably than Ralphie. I've never been more disappointed than you. You know what I mean? Like these crazy moments where you're like, yeah, it's the balance where you're a shithead, but also this incredible fucking almost superhero. I think one of my favorite memories of Ralphie is I was just starting to tour with him. I was just a baby comedian too, and a baby human being, if we're looking baby adult, and didn't really understand a lot of the world. I had a good idea, but we're walking to an airport, and he's like, "You want to act, right?" And I was like, "I mean," and I gave some bullshit. And I'm like, "It's the opportunity, right?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, but you want to take acting classes?" I was like, "Sure." He's like, "Well, here's your friend." We're walking. Security's about. We can see security. TSA is like a hundred feet. We're inside the airport, and he just turns around. And he's like, "Well, act like you don't have this," and hands me a quarter ounce of weed. And then it's just open in the airport, and I was like, "I yeah," uh, and I just instinct, I just took it and put it in my pocket. I was like, "Where I put it?" He's like, "Just put it in your pocket." And I was like, "So," he's like, "Just," he's like, "Your role is that you don't have weed in your pocket right now." And I fucking did it. And I really it didn't. I acted, I literally acted. I was like, oh, I don't have weed. I'm just, what would I do if I didn't have weed? I was like, oh, I just talked to Ralph. And that's what we did. And I got through and he's like, see, easy player. And I was like, it's not easy. I'm going to go throw up in the bathroom. Fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, God, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, and I traveled with weed from then on out. Oh man! Well, that's uh, it's definitely a unique acting lesson from Ralphie May, huh? Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna get that at the Stellar Adler Academy. I'll tell you this. Okay, this is my favorite. I think this might be my favorite one because very rarely did someone out charismatic or out Ralphie Ralphie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very rarely were you in a room that. Someone had a bigger personality. Well, we went, we're in Birmingham, Alabama, which the Fighter Butterbean showed up. You remember him? Who? Butterbean. He's like a bald dude. Uh, remember in the Jackass movie, he punched Johnny Knoxville and Knoxville snoring before he hits the ground? Okay. Okay, well, he's this huge man who was like big in boxing for a while. Uh, he loved Ralphie, of course. Um, this is like early on when I started touring, where I was just like, oh, your life is weird. Where we're eating, I'm eating sushi with Butterbean and Ralphie May, where I'm like, ooh, your life is, not, you're not a normal human being. Things happen to you in weird ways. Um, so the guy was like, he's like, you guys, after when you're leaving, tomorrow, you stop by my barbecue place, it's by this lake that Ralphie used to go to with his dad. So we're like, of course. 
So we go there. I've never seen, it was just us. The dude just keeps bringing out food. It's all barbecue. There's steaks. I ate a whole steak. I ate pulled pork. I ate potato skins. I'm eating ribs. And the guy's just bringing it out. We're all just putting it away. I get, I'm a little bit intimidated to, I finish a whole steak and he brings me another steak, which is a thing that I've never seen happen. <laughs> Before or since. Never seen it. But I'm so, like, I was like, okay, I'll just keep eating it. He's like, eat, and he's a huge man. Ralphie keeps eating it. Ralphie's got the stomach staple thing. So I knew this about it. I was like, how's he still got room in there? Because I've seen him do it before he eats too much. He has to go throw up. But he hasn't done that yet. I'm as full as I've ever been in my whole life. Like, I can feel pulled pork behind my heart. That's how far it is stacked back up. <laughs> we leave. Finally, we've been there like three hours. Both of us are like, okay. Ralphie couldn't get us away. Finally, the guy got tired of us and like, shit, we're like, thank God. So we drive about a mile down the road. Ralphie pulls over and I was like, you got to vomit? And he was like, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I didn't want to do it there to insult him. We'd have to fight him. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I get out with him and I throw up with him. He, was, and he couldn't see. He's like, why are you throwing up? I was like, because I was scared to say no. I just ate more food than I've ever eaten in my whole life. So there's me and Ralphie May throwing up food. That's how much food. I was like, oh, I guess people can party with food. I never thought of the thing. But yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's something you'll always take with you. Dominic, oh, I pass that exit. Every time I pass that exit in Alabama, I start giggling. I'm like, oh, I'm throwing up on the side of the road there because I ate too much food. Man, thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for calling me, Danny. Good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. I'm really happy that Ralphie put us uh, in each other's lives. Amen. Billy Wayne Davis, funny, funny dude. Like I said before with Steve, go on YouTube, check him out. These are funny people that Ralphie May spotted the talent in and gave us all a shot. Moving on now in my story. Let's fast forward a little bit. Now I've been opening for Ralphie May for a few years on the road. The Comical Radio Podcast Network is about to shut down, but I don't know it yet at the time of this recording. This is right before Comical Radio, the whole thing folds. We're now at the Times Square Art Center, which was formerly the Laugh Factory in New York, right in Times Square. And me and Chris Iacono who is my uh, partner in, in building comical radio for a lot of it. We got this space. We transformed it into a radio studio where we could live stream. We were no longer at the college. We invested a ton of money. We raised money from fans. We built this whole studio, and we'd engineer and help each other with our shows. And Ralphie comes in with his wife, Lana. They come in to promote some show. On the show, Too Much Information with Dan and Dan, which was me and Dan Natterman, and also Justy Dodge, who on this episode, I remember, had just gotten back from her trip home to Minnesota and was totally wiped out and barely spoke throughout the episode because she was so jet-lagged and tired and exhausted from her family, but she's also super funny. And so here we are with Ralphie and Lana and me and Dan Natterman, 
And we are back with more Too Much Information with Dan and Dan. <laughs> and in the studio now with us, uh, Ralphie May. And we still have Lana here and Justy and Dan Natterman, of course. And uh, it's good we to have America's you We got America's first couple of comedy here. I know. And, 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 and couple of fat guys in comedy right here. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we made the internet heavier on this side. It's awesome. I well, love it. Who's the second couple? Would that be Bonnie and Voss? Probably. Well, I don't know if there has to be a second couple. I mean, there's a first lady, but there's not a second lady. So I think that we can just stay with the first couple. Interesting point. And and if there is to be a first couple, it would have to be Lana Turner and Ralphie May. It feels like there should be something else. Yeah, you were looking for something. something, or like Ralphie Gerald May. Ralphie Otis May. What is Duran, D-U-R-E-N. Duran? Duran, D-U-R-E-N. Ralphie Duran May. Old English. I don't think I've ever heard yeah, that. Yeah, that doesn't really... I've heard it Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that. It's it nothing like that. It doesn't look like it fits the whole... Ralphie it, May it, works. Ralphie Duran May. Exactly. It, it doesn't... <laughs> I know. I know. It's a fucking sentence. could be... Okay. Wait a minute. It's Ralphie like, Beatrice May. I swear on the Wikipedia, your Wikipedia page... It says, it's oh. Ralphie O'May. Yeah, it says, oh, yeah. And it's always been wrong. And I don't know how to correct it. Now, you know how you can tell how, how famous a dude is or how big a dude's career is? How many languages his Wikipedia page is translated into <laughs> is, is one indication. Another indication is how long after you die, your Wikipedia page says you're dead. But, of course, we, don't, we won't know that until somebody dies. <laughs> Mine was a doom and gloom. I love it. But right, I, but see, I wrote my Wikipedia page. You, you wrote did? your own Wikipedia yeah, page? Yeah, because I'm not, you know, so, but they didn't take it off. That's all you can say you is they didn't take it off. your own. Yeah. And so, you know, like some people's Wikipedia says, this hot up-and-coming comic, you can tell they wrote it. Right. But Ralph's got a real Wikipedia page. But I'm going to check to see if it's, well, it's translated. Did, when you wrote it, did you write it in a positive note then? or did you? No, write because it then like it a... sounds like you wrote it. I didn't so, say so Like Dove this, David Off. This miserable guy who's been no, at it no, for a long... No, it's just very matter of fact. So what does it say? Like Dan Dove David Off's Wikipedia page is like the hot up and coming, unless oh. it was changed. It's <laughs> clearly a PR piece. <laughs> Ralphie May is not translated to any other languages. However... It's still a pretty impressive Wikipedia page with internal links, references, a discography, a filmography. What do you mean uh, translated? We should get it translated. Well, like if, if you're like a lot of people, their their Wikipedia page would be translated into Italian, Spanish, French. You know, oh. uh, if you're really big, maybe even some more exotic languages. I, I got I got Norwegian and, and Finnish. Okay, and they say Finnish is one of the hardest languages to learn. I don't know that for sure, but I, uh, yeah, they 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 loved us in Finland. We sold out two shows there, and uh, um, I still get emails and uh, tweets from people about uh, Finland and Norway and Sweden. Well, send one of them to our show. We've been trying to get one of these Vikings on here for the past two weeks. They love comedy, these people, these, these Nordics, these, these, these ice, these ice, uh, these ice uh, monkeys. Damn. And I'll tell you something. <laughs> I, I'm at the comedy cellar, and, and uh, you know, and it's I ice. ask where are you from, and, and yeah, they are from- have the people from Finland and, 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 and Denmark and these other places. It's because they have nothing good out there. Where the dollar is, is weak. Is they have nothing good. They have nothing good. Nothing, no good TV shows. It they don't even have good landscape. The landscape is pretty boring. I mean, I, from what it's I've fucking seen. fucking cold. It's cold and boring. They say, <laughs> oh, the quality of life is so much better. The Europeans, it's, whatever they might look down on us, the truth is they, 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 be us. they can't stop. That's all we they, they think about is America. But again, it goes back to what I was telling the political guy about. It's all media. That's all we've got to offer. We've got no, good media. it's not just we've that. Got we've good- got the best shit. In many, we got the best we entertainment. We don't have the best chocolate. We, got, we don't no, have the we don't best have topography. We don't have the best wildlife. 
cares? We, we had the we best entertainment. Yeah, yeah, but with the best, but best wildlife, you get AIDS. You know, well, I mean, Africa's yeah. got the best wildlife, but you also got the AIDS. But thing. not from the wildlife. They well, no, we don't, well, know, we don't know if they got we it. We don't know what they get. It's depressing in Finland because you can eat reindeer, and here we just kind of think about that at Christmas. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah, they, they they serve reindeer all the time. Yeah. They have reindeer jerky. Ah. Okay, it's like is it like uh, Yosemite Sam on that island where he's like coconut milk? Remember Yosemite Sam was on that <laughs> island? Yeah, not and Yosemite he was like, Sam. It's a uh, um, uh, Yukon. No, Yosemite Sam was on an island and he's preparing his meal and he's trying to convince himself that he that it's great. He's like, oh, coconut milk, cream of coconut, coconut cream pie. <laughs> oh, that's and he's like, oh, I hate coconut. Oh, I can't take no more coconut. Yeah, so that's like the that's like the finish it with reindeer souffle, reindeer mousse, reindeer kebab, and then they finally just fucking lose it and say, I hate reindeer. Let's go to the funny club in America. But we do have the best ah. entertainment, man. But they don't have the Simpsons. Other parts of the world ain't producing the Simpsons. That's what I'm saying. That's what we've got. We've Family got, guy. We've got show business. We've got entertainment. All right, then the we're on the same page. Simpsons yeah, 2000. We're on the same page. Mm-hmm. The comedy elsewhere is mostly bad. Yeah. That's mostly bad. The UK has good comedy. Nobody else has. You know, I think they're a little bit behind. Yeah. They're, they're, they're they, not seem, as good. they seem like 90s comedy. They're comics. not as good. They're no, not there's as some good. very interesting, smart, kind of cool stuff that goes on in, in the UK. And, uh, they're behind. They're not. They're not as far behind as everybody else, but they're behind. Just like rock and roll, man. The English had it. They had a lot of shit. They're behind in a good but, way. Like their scene over there is is behind in a good way. Like people always not equate alt. it to like the eighties. Um, no, it's not all. I've heard there is England. No, I've heard England. There is no cut between alt and not club because With it's comedy? all comedy, like the scene. It's all comedy. club. Oh, the scene oh, is cool. That's comedy. what I mean. Not the comics, cool. but the scene. Yeah. There is no. There's no divide where you know somebody who'd be considered an alt act here. Uh, would play at a club there, you know, and right. right with somebody who would be considered a club act here. It's just comedy, and it's at the clubs, and there's no two worlds about it, you know. That's that's the way it should fucking be, and punchlines should fucking matter. But uh, and it's not a perfect fucking world, man. It's certainly not. It's it's depressing as fuck. I did this fucking show. For, uh, who's that guy that used to book Tough Crowd? Okay, uh, Jeff Singer. Jeff Singer. He had me do this fucking show in uh, in the East Village. Okay, and it's like SOS comedy or something like that. And man, those people were morally opposed to a punchline. Okay, they were like, if you were fucking funny, you sucked all right if you right. stunk and told me about your day and at a coffee shop okay with no punchlines and you had a pastry <laughs> and had a fucking starbucks genius okay and and someone fucking was snapping okay if you're snapping i want to punch you in the fucking face at a comic <laughs> i don't know what snapping means sna- sna- you mean literally fingers. snapping okay. <laughs> snapping their fingers like okay it. and it was just like this is the fuck this i'm out of here and i i felt dirty and i think i ran into you that night at the comedy cellar all right and you you renewed my fucking hope. All right, you were just as that's, miserable really, that's and you, fucking oh, okay. bitching about fucking <laughs> comedy, and 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 now there's no fucking punchlines anymore, and nobody does it. And I'm like, fuck yeah, Natterman got it. All right, and that's I don't remember you, that, but okay. Yeah, and you also got mad because my wife was a Jew. All right, no, that I married a Jew. I, okay? that wasn't and me, brother. You, really, there's that wasn't another me, Jew brother. who talks I mean, like he's from 30. But but okay, I now don't compare. I don't care. You marry who you want to marry. I mean, if you're you know, if it was my sister, maybe I'd have a problem with it. Not not because, <laughs> only because I don't want my sister with a comic. Nothing to do with religious aspects. But I wasn't complaining about I never Lana heard Nair. you be protective of your sister before on this show. 
or I've never heard you have because uh, well, she hasn't any come, she hasn't come up. They hasn't come up. Yes, I brought her up before. You go, oh, you know, my sister. She's got her life. I've got my whatever, life. man. You're, right. you're reading too into it. Yeah, I mean, my point okay. is, is that I never complain <laughs> that you were marrying a Jew. It's not my mo. <laughs> you and, did, you did. What did I know? You told me you go oh, another fucking hot Jew goes to somebody out of the tribe. Okay, that's what you <laughs> said. I said that it was with Alana there. Uh, yes. Well, then I, I I probably just said it to compliment Lana because maybe, she is lovely. Maybe, but but I has really have no. What I meant was another hot chick that I'm not fucking. Ah, uh, there that's you what, go. That's what I probably meant. Go. If you read between the lines, she's like, okay, you know. But I didn't want to say that. I, I, it's not my mo to say that. It's you know, I like to see the and mixing that. of the races. You get a lot of good, uh, a lot of good. Um, what. You get good the bloodline, you know. You mix it up. You get like it's already a, mixed up. You get like a Gwyneth Paltrow or a, you know, or a, or a Zac Efron when you mix when you do these mixes. Jesus. So I don't uh, know about that, that last one. Zac Efron, yeah. who's, who's half Jewish and half uh, oh, is not Jewish. Yeah. Well, so, I think when you, are you half Jewish or are you just all in Jewish or not? Well, there's two ways of looking at. It. I don't want to get too deep into it, but 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 if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish according to Jewish law, right? And that's the long and the short of it, and that's it, and that's right. all there is to say. Your kids, according to Jewish law, are as Jewish as Woody Allen and I Ben Stein love it. and Dan Adam and put I together. Love it. I love it. Uh, according to the rabbi, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I ain't no rabbi. Okay, you so know rabbi. Right. You, you, you do. You have I ain't no rabbi. I, I say them kids are half Jewish. That's assuming you're the father. I am. All right. Am. Now, <laughs> so, I think it's a good assu- assumption. Now, you know, there, so. there's a whole article this week about the Jews in China. Yeah. That they've been they got Jews perf- in China? Yeah, but they're get the everywhere. fuck out of here. They're not Seriously? accepted into Israel. 400 years of uh, they've been living in China. Because they, they look Chinese. Well, right? yeah, they yeah, look Chinese, Chinese, but they pass it down through the father. Ooh, you can't do that. Can't bro. do that. <laughs> you can't know? do that. So this whole community of Chinese. And ironically, Jews cannot, they don't eat Chinese. They have food. to convert uh, to get the right of return to go to Israel. No. They, they to only con- eat the Chinese food they, on Christmas. They've been living as Jews, but they're not considered Jews by the rabbis because. So it's like a whole article they had this week yeah, in the bunk. Wall Street Journal, which I, I read. I, I didn't read the Wall Street yeah, Journal. You so read I, the Wall Street Journal? Only because it pertained to Jews, but uh, okay. that was the only reason. It's a real Scottish-American, ladies and gentlemen. It, a real Scot- Scotsman. A Scottish-Jewish-American. A real Scotsman. You, uh, hey, well, pick we, one, brother. We, you we, pick one, brother. Right. I'm not picking one. I could do both. There's nobody. <laughs> you, guys, you can't do all three, son. Go in so the forums, my friend. The listeners are on my what side. What listener is on your side? All the listeners are on my side. Your stupid cousin, fucking Angus Goldberg. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I love that fucking guy. He's so racist. The Scottish people, <laughs> the Jewish people, so across the board. In fact, this very morning, I went out with my Scottish Jewish cousins yeah. with Kylie to the Sheridan for breakfast. How about that? You took them to the Sheridan? Yeah, it's a good breakfast. What are you doing taking people to the Sheridan for breakfast? You mean you the Sheridan? to impress them about this country. Why do you take them to the Sheridan? They, got, they had these little mushroom flatbreads. That oh, were the Sheraton good. Hotel? or the, yeah. she- the Sheridan Hotel. It's all about what's cheap and as much food as you can eat. Yeah, they must have a buffet. It's right? a very nice buffet. buffet yes. Yes, it's a good buffet. I've been well, going to that Sheridan buffet for years. They got a buffet. They actually just moved it. They used to have it right by the window so you could watch people walk by. Now they put it in the back where it used to be the conference center. It's terrible. Now, Ralph, like your ancestry is from what? Northern Northern Europe? Uh, uh, they, they are uh, Irish. Irish. And then when they came here, uh, they mixed with uh, some uh, light-skinned, half-black, half-Indian. Wait, you uh, half-black, half-Indian in you? I got, I got black and American Indian in me as well. You can't see it. I know, I know. It's fucking, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, it's hidden, boy. I know. It's right the in Irish there, man. Irish took over. I know, I know. I, I got, and I got black blood in me and Indian, and I'm not an alcoholic. I've got a 
medium dick. It's uh, <laughs> you know, this is a very strange mix. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, but you but, got you got the the tone of voice. You have a certain uh, we say uh, uh, a certain um, je ne sais quoi. No, you... no, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say uh, you know the rhythm of your voice is a little bit African American. Well, raised up, I uh, was. Broke, you know, we there's no white or black in Arkansas where I was raised up. It's all black. I mean, we're all broke. It's just, it's, it, there's no mix. There's no separation. People think there's a big separation. There's not. We all shop at the same place. We yeah, all work in the same southern. place. You just sound southern. Yeah, just southern. <laughs> you're just in New York, so you're like, what does a southerner sound like? But yeah, that's, that's, I think that's what I am. I think just southern. I picked up the, I picked that up a little bit. Yeah, southern. yeah, yeah. I, I I like it. I like it. I like uh, I like being from the south. I, I like uh, saying uh, yes and being polite. Mm, Thank you and and y'all and uh, all the uh, vernacular. Uh, but what happens is is that people fucking either love it or they fucking hate it. There's Ra- no middle ground. There's no people who are like eh, I can give I, a shit. I've seen Ralphie when I've been on the road with Ralphie say say things to people and they 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 have a look because they don't know what he means. But I'll give you an example where you say to people, "Thank you, friend." That creeps some people out. I know, but, right? but you could get away with it. I tried to get away with it. I can't get away with it at all. You could get away with it like 50% of the time. I, I get away with it more than that. Maybe maybe I, 70%. Sometimes people give me a look. Yeah, but like, Danny, you're half evil. Me? Yeah, yeah. Dan, you, you, you got to admit, man. Like, half evil. You got to admit, man. Thank you. Well, thank yeah. you the, beard. Yeah. It's the beard. He's got the beard. No one believes you. No one thinks you're being. You're not the beard, man. It's because of the. It's the southern accent, man. It's also the beard. Nah, you're too, a creep, though. dude. All right. <laughs> if you didn't have the beard, you wouldn't be as creepy. Yeah. And it, it, people think you're you're You're, you're very anti-beard. I am very anti-beard. Not because uh, because it's necessarily a bad look. It actually looks great on you. Thank you. Okay, I think you look you look slim. You look distinguished, if you will. Um. But I think that as a comedian, uh, the veil of um, the they can't they have to be able to suspend disbelief, okay? And that if they don't believe what you're saying, mm-hmm. they they'll question it. And that that slack, that question whether you're truthful or not, adds some hesitation to falling in for the joke or the story or whatever you're going for. Well, right. I bet you have a baby face underneath that. That's beard. the thing. I look like uh, Andy Melanakis if I shave. That's it. good. A baby I face look is too good. Young. No, no, you can't look too young. Are you just hiding? You know. Your Kylie, when I shaved it off very low one time, she was making fun of me. She's like, "You look like a little boy." She, she's laughing. She's like, "You look like a little boy." Actually, Kylie, look- you're you're a, you're you do stuff improv, right? So you're so you're you're also a comedy couple. Yeah, but, but not the first, cu- not the first, not the first couple. <laughs> not, not even, no, not no. even the third. I would say. No, I would say <laughs> <not. laughs> well, she's uh, you're you're bad at the bone. You're converting to Judaism. What the fuck are you in for? <laughs> All right, eat all your bacon now before you go through the Torah, okay? Before you hold the scrolls. All right. Okay, so you're converting to be Jewish, to be Jewish oh. yeah. but not for Danny, right? Like you wanted to do it before that. She oh. wanted. To do you do wanted it. to do it before that? Yeah. <laughs> not, not before you met him. She's not doing no, it not for, for him. him, but she's doing it because she not has be- a love of Judaism and Torah and Yiddishkeit. Yes. Really. Which you Dan, can't. You don't believe it. You're wow, like, oh, man! I want a bagel now. That was the Jewishest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. That was awesome. Trying to bring even it real. I'm, I'm fucking yeah. ready to go to Israel. I'm pumped. From the Dan, Hell out. Let's go. Get two tickets. Let's do this. But Dan, Dan was very against her converting at first. Right? I wasn't against her. I'm against conversions that are insincere. But but I wasn't against her converting. Do you if doubt her sincere, sincerity? Sincerity? No, no, not at all. Okay. I, 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 you know, my, now I'm insincere insofar as I, I don't believe. I'm not a believer. Right. You know, but but uh, it don't matter. You know, I don't need to be a believer. Okay. You know. Yeah, I, I don't understand 
why anyone would want to convert into it. I mean, there's so much work. To, if, you, well, if you believe, and, man, if you believe that this is the way to go, that this is the, that, 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 you know, this is the thing, you know, then, then you believe. I guess but, I, but, I don't. But I don't believe in any of it. I believe in Bob Marley. I saw that motherfucker. I've seen you video of him sparking up a doobie. <laughs> I believe in that, but I believe in the message, the one love. Okay, I think what 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 uh, religion's done to this world is fucking abysmal. And, uh, Kylie's more into it than I am now. now well, what yeah, point? What you know, my, my question is this: If Jesus don't come back, or if the Jewish Messiah don't come, at what point are people just going to say, you know what? I don't think this motherfucker's coming. You know, yeah. in the year 2500. I mean, if we're still, like what happened by now. In the year 3000, I think people are going to be like, either the religions are right. and It'll and be 3YK. It'll know? be either that's right and Jesus comes or the Jewish Messiah comes or the Muslim whatever God comes. Or at some point people are going to say, this motherfucker ain't coming. Or people will say, he already came. You missed it. But the, they'll, yeah. just, they'll just yeah, he was a homeless hey, guy. Wait, wait. No, but they're going to be a whole movement ah, of people that said that it already happened. Will. Yeah. yeah, I give it, you know, but I give Judaism as we know it, Christianity as we know it, and Islam as we know it. I give it about five hundred years, and then it's done. I gotta um, talk to you, man, Natterman. Are you really just thinking about getting out of comedy? I, I, I'll never get out. You know, but course, I'm giving thought to pharmaceuticals, to various other endeavors right, that might uh, have long term, more long term uh, like stability. Financial stability. What? Like selling uh, drugs? And- well, you know, um, pharmaceutical sales. Mm. Um, I did that for a while. Did you? Was it by good? the gram? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can supplement. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the city doing spots at night, yeah. I, I got here's here's when I've wanted to fucking quit. I was in Los Angeles and I got an audition for a horrible movie uh, called uh, A Dreamcatcher, a Stephen King uh, adaptation of a fucking horrible film. All right, and the role was for a guy that was so fucking fat that he was eating himself to death over the over the loss of his mother that he didn't fucking help his mom. All right, and she died. Because he was too fucking fat And he was eating himself to death And they told me I was too fat to play the fat guy Who was eating himself to fucking death That's when you want to fucking eat a gun Alright wow. and, and and how about this one When I auditioned at um, at the Laugh Factory And uh, and they were like Actually we can't have Ralphie she, on the show right He's to too face. fucking fat She said you're too fat to play an Aspen Yeah that was another one. That was that was that was uh, Judy Marmel, all right, who told me I was too fat to play an Aspen. Marmel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's Marmel, all right, all right. So but that's the truth, that. all right. That's and then the a truth. few months later, he booked Last Comic. It was literally just a couple months later, and then he was on TV. But she said, "You're too fat to be on TV. No one will put you on TV. No one will put me on TV until I was on the fucking Emmy-nominated fucking hit show of 2003 Summer, all right. And that's how it happened yeah. because I stuck it out despite what everyone fucking told me. I knew it was right. All right. And you know what? The truth of the matter is you're a lot more fucking talented than you even know. All right. You're a lot more talented than anybody else knows. But no one's ever going to fucking know it if you don't show them. He tells me his heart is no longer in this show because he can't commit to it because he might go into pharmaceuticals. It's enough about me, really. You know, I mean, I appreciate appreciate it and and, and, and everything. I I do believe, however, that it's just it's. It, you know, from the for the listener's perspective, it's 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 getting a little much. But you know, we go through it every week. But that's just the bottom line. I'm glad you didn't snap at anybody else. But Dan, everyone thinks you're really funny. Like everyone really respects you, and that's the whole bottom line. Is just you're the only one who can do anything about it. And we go through this like every. I appreciate week. Ryan, and to show you, I appreciate. It, I'm gonna give you a copy of Brian Sachs, <laughs> uh, a primer in politics for the incredibly disenchanted 
Uh, the, what's it called? The BS, the BS of, of America. There you go, yeah. uh, Ralphie. A They're copy a gift for you. For for you. Uh, you wonderful hardcover version uh, with the picture on the back of Abe Lincoln. I do appreciate it. I'm not un- ungrateful for the good words uh, that you have uh Spouse. Please, I hope they don't. I hope I just didn't waste my breath. No, you did. You know, because you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great comics out there, and um, and the truth is, is that uh, there's a there's a lot of places to play. I think every if there's comics that are listening, I actually think it's very beneficial because everybody feels this way at some point in their career. Fuck everybody yeah, feels that sometimes every time they get on stage, sometimes people feel this way, or if they're in a crowd of comics that are just douchebags in their town. I mean. It's really it's a hard business. So I, I'm sure pe- there's. I don't comics even know why we're called comics and not contacts. Contacts, okay, okay, because we're just fucking miserable fucking cunts, ninety nine percent of the time, and that's where our fucking funny comes from. You know, I mean, it, that, that's the truth. You know, it, it, nobody wants to admit it. You know, it's the big fucking gorilla in the room, but that's what people's. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that they want a shared misery. They want someone more miserable than them. All right, yeah. you can be that person. If anybody fucking good, it's you. Maybe Chris. Chris is pretty fucking miserable. I said comedy clubs are sad people watching sadder people make them less sad. Right. Yeah. That's all it yeah. is. That's it. It's, it's, it's people who need to laugh and they go to laugh at someone else's misery instead of their own. That's exactly what it is. So, Dan, you're sadder than any of us. You have the potential to be the greatest, greatest all all time, all in time. America. Uh, well, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but you have to put some like, heart behind it too. Yeah, you have you to know. put some effort. You gotta put your heart. You know, back. bother me is when you turn on the TV and you see people that you know. And oh, stop! Stop! Why do you even care if someone else's success? How does their success or failure fucking in any way interact with you and your success? Or and failure? we will talk about that next time. Oh, we'll <laughs> talk about that next time. You cop uh, out. No. You fucking well, cop you know, it out. Gotta, we gotta. This show's been brought to you today by Cialis and Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, pure everyone. misery. Pure. <laughs> fucking misery there's ralphie may the advice guy again and once again talking about the struggles of being a overweight guy in hollywood and shortly after the recording of that episode i remember i walked in to do my show one day and there's a bunch of workers with sledgehammers just breaking up the room smashing the walls ripping through our wires our cameras are dangling off the ceiling whichever ones that still survived The whole studio was being ripped to shreds. Nobody told us anything. We had no warning that this was coming. We thought we had that studio space forever. And one day we just walk in. I'm like, Chris, Chris, you got to see. Come here, quick. And he runs in. He's like, what is it, bro? And they're ripping down the walls, the carpets, the studio. And we're running around, and they're and, the, and these guys barely spoke any English. They're like, hey, no, no, you can do this. Eh? This is our stuff, bro. What are you talking about? Chris is going nuts. And we go and scramble to save as much of our equipment as we possibly can, jumping over giant chunks of broken cement, and we put together whatever equipment we were able to salvage, and we bring the operation to Stand Up New York Comedy Club, which gave us a, a little time in the afternoons on their stage, but it didn't last very long at Stand Up New York. My spirits were too low and broken, and it seemed like it just wasn't meant to be. And one day my wife and I got home, and our Ecuadorian gangster neighbors had been in a fight with some other uh, gang, and there were bullet holes in the window, and we're like, we got to just get out of here already. And we packed up all our stuff. We didn't tell anybody. We packed as much as we could, put it into a Toyota Camry that we got from her dad, a 2000 Toyota Camry that shook when you hit 60 miles per hour. And we booked an Airbnb in St. Cloud, Florida to decide what our next move would be. 
We knew we wanted to go to L.A., but I was like, let's go somewhere shittier first so that L.A. at least feels like a step up because I was a New York snob. So we drive to St. Cloud. We're living on this house on a dirt road on the lake. And I call Ralphie, and he's like, well, I'll tell you what. You want to come out to L.A.? Come come open for me at the Improv, and I'll get you set up. We'll figure it out. We'll get you a job here in L.A. Don't worry, Daniel Bell. This is where it's at. This is where L.A., you're going to be a star, baby. Come out here. I'm telling you, the world needs some Daniel Bell. And I'm like, okay, great. When is the uh, the improv thing? He's like, well, it's in four days. So, you know, we, <laughs> we didn't have much time. We, we, we left St. Cloud. We gunned it for Los Angeles. We barely slept on the way over there. And when we arrived, we pulled right up to the improv. And I got out just in time. He's like, good, good. I just got here, Danny. I'm like, so did I. We got here just in time to do the first show opening at the improv. And he put me up. For that weekend, and I almost did get management out of it, but that did not happen. What did happen was Ralphie said, how much do they pay you, Dana LaBelle, for opening for me at the Improv? I go, 50 bucks. He goes, nobody could live on 50 bucks, and he slipped me 300 bucks cash. And that's the kind of guy he was. He was just the most generous, giving, good-hearted guy. And he used to tell me how people helped him out, and now it's his job to help me out. And he wants to help me get on my feet because he really believed in me. Okay, I think it's time for another phone call. One of the first people Ralphie introduced me to when I got to L.A. was another one of his openers, a very funny comedian named Skylar Stone. Let's give him a call. Hey, Skylar. Daniel. I'm calling you to talk about our mutual, dearly departed friend, Ralphie May. Ralphito. Yes, Ralphito. And you and I met through him. At one of his kids' parties, I think, was the first time. Is, is that correct? Your recollection? Let's not say through him, though. Through him sounds like it was like a gay three-way, you know what I mean? Like like we met, like we were both inside him. Like It just kind of sounds weird, you know? I mean, that's how I remember it, but okay. Oh, well, I didn't know if this is that kind of party. I didn't know we were having an honesty party. <laughs> all right, never mind. Then, by all means, yes, we both were inside Ralphie, and yeah. I saw you. You bumped into me. You know, I bumped into you, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, uh, we were having sex with each other at a, at a children's party. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a million things to do at a Ralphie May party. You know, you didn't go to Ralphie's and just sit around and throw your thumbs. Ralphie knew he had people coming over, and he's from the South. And when people are coming over in the South, you're, you're hospitable. You're, you're, you take care of people. It's about letting people put their feet up. And uh, no matter how tired Ralphie was from being on the road and being the weight that he was and whatever, you know, Ralphie was always putting the work in to entertain. You get to his house and he was sweating the whole time because he's over. He's, he's literally, he could hire somebody at his, you know, status in his network. He could have hired somebody, but he was manning the grill, you know, and he was talking to everybody. He was, he was something else, man. Uh-uh. Yeah, he knew the importance of being a great host. He knew what it meant to people to be at his place. Ralphie was headlining, but Ralphie was still hosting. Ralphie never stopped being, he had the heart of a host. A host has so much heart. A host isn't jaded. A host is wet behind the ears. You know, but, but you know, my favorite thing about Ralphie, well, as I say that, I'll, it'll change in 30 seconds because he gave you that many things to, you know, have be your favorite thing about him. Um, there, was a, there was a tweet that went out by him. Years ago, Ralphie was a guy that was pretty honest, honest about his size and his, 
his life expectancy even at times. Like I, I never heard Ralphie not joke about like, you know, that, that he wouldn't be here forever. He, he made a lot of comments like that. And um, he did a, a tweet where he said, when I go, you know, I want everybody to have a memorial to, to roast me. And, you know, so many people are so insecure. They would never like, they, that's the last thing they would want. You know, they want to have something epic and a memorial. They want something like, you know, everyone to be crying and, and not being able to go on without them. And here's old Ralphie saying, no, just make fun of me in my life. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's no different than him hooking up young comics and taking three hours after a show with fans and not just taking one picture, but as many pictures as they want and signing everything from their t-shirt they just bought to their left tit, like whatever. Like, you know, the fact that he's still out there, even in death, helping you, wanting you to have a memorial where you had a good time, you walked away, and the only person that, <laughs> that took a beating uh, was him still, you know, posthumously. So. Yeah, and I remember the memorial service that we did for him at the improv as being one of the most joyous, heartfelt, sweetest, funniest services that I've been to for anyone who's ever passed away. Well, it was, and uh, you know, the best moment, uh, that whole thing to me was his son, was when August got on stage. I thought, we we were watching something so innocent and but also mature and real in that moment he, he hears a little boy getting up being every bit as funny as his dad and i didn't even know he had that in him it's like he knew he was taking the reins and that he was now the clown of the family uh and that was his way of supporting his mom in that moment was getting out there and being funny and she kept saying do you want to say anything about your dad and then he he, he didn't he, he he i don't think he knew how to do that in front of everybody I think he knows how he feels about his dad. And I think that, uh, I think he, um, I think he understands that his dad is gone. I think he had a lot of warnings that he would be gone one day. Uh, because Lana had to kind of get real with him a long time ago and he knew what was going on, but he, it's almost like he was honoring somehow he knew in an instinctual way that his dad wouldn't want him up there crying. He, he'd want him up there doing what he did. But it, all right, it's your turn, son. That was my stage. The improv was my home club in Hollywood. Now it's yours. What do you think it was that made Ralphie so unique and so special? That he was um, so giving and so caring, but so honest during it. Like, a lot of people will be giving and caring, but then put on this fake, fake, fake little nicety and not tell you how they feel. Ralphie had me open for him in Kalamazoo, Michigan, my hometown, because I told my love to do a spot in front of him. It would be an honor at, uh, my, at, my, at the theater in my hometown where I went to high school and college, and he didn't even blink an eye. He said, absolutely, you're on. And then he told me what the pay was. And then um, I had forgotten to get a flight um, to the last minute. And truthfully, it was because it was pilot season, and I'm always, like, gun shy to buy a flight, a flight during pilot season because I just don't know what's going to go down for me because uh, anything could happen. I could book something. I could be testing for a network. And, and I was that year, actually. I ended up getting a pilot, uh, Raising Hope. And um, I had a lot going on, but I waited until the last second. And I went to Ralphie and I shot him an email and I still have the emails. Um, I need to pull them back up and read them. But, uh, I said, um, Ralphie, um, the flights are really expensive. Um, I was wondering if you could do anything better on the pay. <laughs> Otherwise I'm like, it's going to cost me money to do this rather than break even or even make a little. And, uh, he wrote something like, you know, Skylar, I'm going to do it. He goes, I'm going to give you the money, but you got balls asking me that. He goes, you got balls making your problems, my problems, but you bet you. Is let's go ahead and double it. 
Can't wait to see you in Kalamazoo. Like, that's Ralphie right there. Like, <laughs> doing it, giving it, but let me know. Like, I don't even think I don't see what you're doing, buddy. All right? Like, okay. All right. No, no, no. You're not, you're not pulling one on me. I don't want you to think you're getting me. I'm going to let you know you're not getting me. You know, I see what you're yeah. doing. I'm going to give it to you anyway because I'm nice and I have it and I can give it. You know, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind with Ralphie. Um, the man had no ego. He could have had the biggest ego. He had no ego. No, I only saw him use this poll if it's if it's for a cause. It was never like, you know, respect me, bow down on a headliner. <sighs> yeah, I really miss him. Yeah, I still hear his voice all the time. I just hear his voice, you know, when I had a meltdown on drugs and alcohol and, and ended up in jail uh, before going to rehab. I had called Lana and I had freaked Lana out because I don't remember everything I said, but I was blacked out. And I said a bunch of stuff and she was, she was affected. So I, I said a lot of things that scared her, not scared her. I didn't threaten her. She wasn't like going, Oh my gosh, Skylar's coming to get me. She was worried for me and she was worried for my, for my family and for my health. And when Ralphie called me, he goes, Skylar, he goes, we got to get you help, man. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know. I thought, you know, I'm like, tail between my legs. Like, I'm serious. He goes, you're on the phone with my wife. He goes, you made her cry. You can't do that, Stone. Can't make my wife cry. You can't do that, Stone. Like, he, you know, he was, even when, when I'm at my lowest and needing help, he wasn't willing to kiss my ass and say, you're perfect. You're fine. Everything's going to be great. He wanted me to know, hey, we need to get your help. We're going to get you better. But at the same time, no one's going to forget what you just did. And you have an amends to make. You freaked my wife out. You know, like that was, that's just that's yeah. no different than when he gave me the money on the flight in that email. And in that call, he gave me what I needed and he gave me what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Skylar. Thanks for sharing all that with me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. And love you, brother. I love you too, man. I hope that you and I can make him proud, continue on in some way, what we learned from him. I think we just did. I think he's just heard this conversation and he's loving more than anything that we're not sitting here quoting his jokes. We're, we're quoting his, his personality and what he said and, and what he did as a man. I think that's, um, I think Robbie's very happy right now. Skylar Stone, the great Skylar Stone. Stone, Stone. Better not be talking to my wife that way, Stone. I love that. Check him out. YouTube. Okay. Back to my journey. After having opened for Ralphie at the Improv, my now wife, then girlfriend, let's call her my pre-wife at the time, my pre-wife Kylie and I had a combined $410 to our name because we paid for an Airbnb up front for three weeks in North Hollywood, and after that we were left with $60 to our name, which then became $110 when the Improv paid me $50, and then became $410 when Ralphie gave me the extra $300. So with $410 to our name, and no credit because our credit was shot and nobody was giving us a credit card. I needed a job. And I said, Ralphie, I need a job. Is there anything you could do for me? And he said, my wife's been wanting to do a podcast. And uh, I know nobody better than you. Nobody's better at it than you. But you got to talk to her. Go and talk to her and see about maybe being a producer. And uh, I went there and she had this idea that she's skinny and Ralphie's fat. So when they stand next to each other, they look like the number 10. And she wanted to launch the Perfect 10 podcast, which would be Ralphie and her um, together setting up recordings of her with comedians that she would interview and do things around L.A. with. 
And so for the first episode, their son, August, kicked it off. And here's a little clip from my very first job in L.A. as the producer of the Perfect Ten podcast. Okay, August, so did you know Billy Wayne's coming over? That's my bitch. Yes, Billy Wayne is your bitch. So what are you going to do when he gets here? I'll stab him. Oh, that's awfully violent. Isn't he your friend? Yeah, but he's a bitch. Will you tell him you love him too? Uh, no. <laughs> I like the house to cold. I like to keep it hot. I don't care much for cooking. I like to eat a lot. Scares me when she's driving. And that I like to fuck in the morning And I like to fuck at night We went from living in a 400 square foot studio apartment Where um, we had hookers and homeless people in our hallway all the time To living in a slightly less shitty apartment but then within a few years of that, we are, you know, like doing amazing. Yeah, now we have two houses. Yeah, yeah. Two houses and a bus. And a bus. And cars and yeah. kids. Thank you, Jay Moore. Thank you, Jay Moore. <laughs> Thank you for the career. We're, we're so fortunate to be able to bring the podcast and to have an amazing guy to help us with that. The very funny and talented. Great Dan, comedian. Yes. And great comedian. Danny Lobel. Danny Lobel, who is a master podcaster. And I met him in uh, doing his radio show in New York City. And I you guys said, could be brothers. And we, we look I'm like sitting, it. Oh my God! We, I'm sitting we between clothes. you, but no one would know it. I know. Are you really between us? Are you caught in our orbit? I don't okay, know. that's what we really want to know. I mean, I'm in the well, perfect place between two good guys. Good thing there's not. Good thing I'm not hungry. No shit. <laughs> There'd be no food. There'd be no food. So we've got a lot of people behind us. Uh, we've got a great cast. We've got more in store for you than you know. So from that point, things got a little more difficult. I now had to support myself and my wife in a new city, and it was very tough. It was a tough show to produce because it was hard to watch, but Ralphie's marriage was falling apart right in front of my eyes. And I felt like a little kid a lot of the time trying to keep his parents together because Ralphie and Lana would just complain to me about each other. And I remembered that love. I remembered that Ralphie May showing up at Comical Radio and talking about how much he loved his wife and, and how faithful he was to his wife and how beautiful his wife was and inspiring me to get my girlfriend, who would then later become my wife, Kylie. And um, I didn't want to see things fall apart for them. I felt like it was my job to to protect it. So a lot of the time, we'd be recording and Ralphie and Lana would be together and they'd get into these horrible, horrible marital fights. And I was like, no, no, let's keep it positive. Let's keep it together. And my job was to make it sound like they were very happy and in love. And that was tough. And what else was tough was um, watching Ralphie kind of fall apart with with drugs. Comedian Ralphie May after a concert in... Wait, what's with all the cops and the lights and and the cops? There was almost a riot at the Ralphie May concert in uh, Colorado because basically he was so high that he couldn't perform. What? 
No. <laughs> okay, yeah, totally. We're told Ralphie could barely make it on stage, and when he did... He was mumbling, he couldn't remember what he was talking about. People were yelling at Ralphie to get off the stage, and then Ralphie's supporters were yelling back at the hecklers. It was serious, though, because someone from the staff called the cops. Why did they call the cops? Because people in the audience were so aggressive, they felt that he was in danger. He was popping pills and he was nodding off. And uh, this next clip that uh, you're going to hear was in Portland, Oregon. I went to record with them, and my first album had come out, Some Kind of Comedian, and they gave me a big opportunity to promote it on their show, and they played a clip of it. They gave me a really nice plug for it and gave me some airtime to talk about it, which was very generous of them both. But Ralphie, you'll hear in the clip, was like nodding off on pills. You could hear it in his voice. He slurred. And I remember he asked me to get him a soda. And Lana was like, by no means get him a soda. It could kill him. And I refused to give him a soda. And I'm like, Ralphie, I, I'm not going to get you a soda because you're on this medicine. And, 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 and Lana says it could kill you. He's like, why are you listening to my wife? I said I want a soda. Dan LaBelle, how much have I done for you? You get me that fucking soda. And I'm like, I can't. If it's going to kill you, I'm not going to do it. And that was sort of like the beginning of the end of that job. And things kind of just deteriorated from there. But for now, let's go back to Portland, Oregon, and listen to the very generous plug that both Ralphie and Lana gave me on their show, where Ralphie was clearly slurring his words, unfortunately. Um, Danny, your, your, your bit at the top is hilarious. It's on your new album that's coming out right now. Yeah. And you recorded that in Scotland? I did. It's called uh, Daniel Bell, Some Kind of Comedian. I recorded it in Glasgow a year ago, a little more than a year ago, I think now. No, less than a year. Just get finished editing yeah. it? Uh, yeah, it's on stand-up <laughs> records. I'm a slow editor. I didn't edit you my own slow TV. edit, motherfucker. You slow <laughs> shit. See, I thought I was... I that was carrot just doesn't speed you up. That ain't like a rabbit. <laughs> Fucking... But you did it in Scotland? That's crazy. Nobody ever does that. That's awesome, I did awesome, it in man. Glasgow at the Glasgow Comedy Festival. Holy shit, really? How was that? Um, it was awesome. I love it out there. The crowds, you got... I always tell you and Lana to go out there. You guys would love it. Well, you know... I would love that. That's awesome. I'll, yeah. I'll get you guys some gigs. When you're ready to do this, the Scotland circuit, you know who you got. These are my skills. I can produce podcasts, and I can get you gigs in Scotland. That's about it. And I, and I drink carrot juice too And much. you drink the shit out of carrot juice, <laughs> you, shit of, you just, asshole. Yeah. So funny. I, I, I think that sounds great. I'd love to go to Scotland. You would want to go to Scotland just to see his cousin, see Danny's cousin. Oh, I love your cousin's stories. The, uh, the, uh, semi, uh, the semi-racist uh, Scottish guy, okay? Semi-racist, semi-gay cousin. I'm pretty sure is the only reason why you took me to open for you these last five years is because uh, I, I have to like keep going back and getting more stories of my cousin. Uh, I love those stories, That's the only man. reason, to keep, Lana, when I'm on the road with oh. God. That's the only thing he wants to know about is my Scottish cousin. I know. And it's so funny because <laughs> you do just, the accent so good. Ralphie me. Listen to me, Ralphie me. you fat prick. You need to come out to Scotland, to Glasgow, to do some real comedy and get some nice birds. And, and, and then he goes, listen to me, all right? I'm into the birds. I'm also into the blokes. <laughs> and then you go, are you, are you gay? <laughs> no, I'm both, but I'm neither. 
neither. So wait, what are you talking about? Are I like you bisexual? the bisexual? No, 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 no bisexual. What's the matter with you? You trying to have a go at me? <laughs> You're trying to have a go at me, Ralphie, mate. Listen to me, mate. I'm no bisexual and I'm no gay. I like birds. I also like blokes. I'm both, but I'm neither. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> What's his fascination with with uh, friends? Oh, oh my oh, okay. god! All right, this is this is what he used to say that that always give us some suspicion. Maybe like, all right, listen to me. Next this time you come, came out to you. Listen to me. I'll show you both a great time. All right, I know how to have fun. I go, what's a fun night for you? Fun night for me. So come home. I watch a friend's DVD. I run a nice bubble bath. <laughs> and I have some chocolate banana sweeties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is gay as hell. Okay. Uh, friends. Okay. All right. Gay. All right. All right. And then the bubble bath. And then the chocolate banana sweeties. Oh, my God. I just picture big black... <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> I don't, what's a banana sweetie? Has it been chocolate covered, like a whole banana covered in chocolate? It's a marshmallow in the shape of a banana, yellow marshmallow covered in chocolate. And he like devours, he just eats them like all day, every day out of like a big, uh, uh, what's it called, a big paper bag. <laughs> he just walks around Glasgow just eating these marshmallow banana sweeties. And they're just, they're nothing special, but like he thinks they're so great that you kind of have to go along with it so you don't hurt his feelings all the time. <laughs> Like, oh, you want another? I know what you're wanting, me. You're wanting another chocolate banana sweetie, huh? And you're like, ah, oh, you got me. <laughs> but, but like, you always be like, oh, they're kind of shitty, though, right? Oh, uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're all right. They're just like he just thinks they're like crack or something. Like he's just like, oh, they're the most amazing thing in the world. And and he likes the Sour Patch Kids candies. Whenever I'm here, he's like, bring me some of those Sour Patch Kids, mate. Oh, I wish I was in America when you could see the episodes of Glee when they come out. I'm like, Glee, <laughs> Glee. Oh my god, he's so gay. That's hilarious. I mean, can you imagine if he just got like the logo channel or something like that? Like they should really like just beam that into the Middle East and and watch all those Arab gay guys just come out of the closet <laughs> and just uh, I'm coming up and let the world to know. I'd be awesome, man. That's why we stop all this violence, all this drama. Okay. I don't want to buy you about your special, though, man. I mean, you, you take the CD. It's on standuprecords.com. All right, and that's and Amazon the, and, and spell Lobel for them because they might not spell it right. L-O-B-E-L-L, sir. The that's Halo it, Lobel. And when my job ended with that show, it broke my heart. It was It was tough. I had my ups and downs with both Ralphie and Lana at that show. And uh, ultimately, though, there was a lot of love there between all of us. And it was just too close. It was like family at that point. I no longer was opening for Ralphie because Lana insisted that I couldn't be his opener and the show's producer at the same time because she didn't want me going on the road with him because she needed me to produce segments, so that stopped. And as I could feel it was slipping away and I had nothing left, I started this podcast. I was uh, I was looking for answers. My wife was converting to Judaism. 
I was in a new city. I had no friends. I was about to have no job. I had no work as a comedian. I was losing my sense of self and my identity. And I got philosophical. And that's when Modern Day Philosophers started. And Ralphie was going to be one of the first guests on the podcast, but there was too much bad blood at the time. And he said, let it sit for a while. We'll do it in a bit. And time went by. Ralphie and I didn't talk for a while. Then one day I got a text from him telling me that he's getting divorced. And then he started calling me throughout the divorce and talking to me about what, it, what he was going through and how hard it was for him. It was very painful. I had a front row ticket to watch my hero crumble. This is the man that gave me hope in love. This is the man that encouraged me to get my wife. And now this very public, very vicious divorce was going on. And it's the kind of thing I really can't make a judgment on. Because only Ralphie and Lana really know what went on between them. But one thing I know is when you fight hard, when you break up, it's because you loved hard when you were together. Those two went through a lot. All right. Here's a little clip I found from that time period on YouTube from a show called Spencer's Neighborhood, where Ralphie came on and talked about the state of his life at that time. Uh, All right, Ralphie May, how you doing? Uh, fantastic. <laughs> Lies. If you told me that, you know, if we were off there, I would tell you the truth. But no, fantastic, wonderful. Life is great. Good man. Yeah, I'm. I'm living a country song, bro. Is it? <laughs> is it really? Is it really good or is it not? It's not. I know your your wife asked for a divorce not too long ago, so uh, that was man. Good morning, everybody. I know, right? That's a What's kick. That's a kick right comedy, to the comedy, comedy, Here's where comedy, we get to the comedy, funny comedy. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's gonna have a nice house in Los Angeles. Uh, if anybody out there wants to uh, hook up with a uh, super hot Jew broad uh, with a whole house, uh, I can give you an address. We can't see it. I gotta stay five hundred feet away from it. But uh, yeah, my house is there. I can give you an address. Man, it still breaks my heart to listen to that. It takes me back to that time. It gives me some PTSD. Okay, let's make a phone call. I'm going to call another of Ralphie's opening acts. This is Corey and Chad, the Smash Brothers, who toured with Ralphie, and they were with him during this time. And let's hear from Corey and Chad. All right, Corey and Chad, the Smash Brothers, on the line. How are you guys? We're good, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing well. We all met because of Ralphie, and uh, we performed on the shows, some shows with Ralphie. Uh, where, where did we meet? At the um, Brea Improv, was it? Yeah, we met at the Brea, right? Yeah, Brea. I'm pretty sure we met you at Brea. And, uh, and just like myself, you guys also had the privilege of spending time with Ralphie on the road. So I wonder if you might have some memories you want to share. Sure. I mean, uh, we toured with him for many years, man. And, uh, uh, we have so many great memories. He taught us more than anybody else that we were on the road with. Yeah. And, you know, from doing clubs to theaters, to the, the show business part of merchandise, like he was, 
not just a friend. He was a mentor and a brother, like uh, a brother that you could count on. They call in the middle of the night or even cry to chat with and have heartfelt conversations. He was a very, very generous, nice man. What are some life lessons that you guys learned from being around Ralph? Oh, uh, he taught us because uh, we both gone through divorces and he just taught us that family first, this job being gone. I mean, obviously he was going through a major divorce before he passed away. And uh, he just taught us that uh, family's important and we don't always need to be on the road. And sometimes we do need to be home. Even when you have shows out there, sometimes you do need to be home and spend time. So he always made sure we were home for Christmas and all those things. But that's one thing that Ralph always preached to us, that family should come first, because without them, you really don't have much. You know what I mean? And it's lonely on the road. That's the one thing we learned. Like, it was something we always dreamed of, being on a tour bus and touring the world with a legend like Ralphie. But it was bittersweet at the same time, because we got homesick. Uh, I know, big town problems. But, there, you know, the flip side, too, was, like, we were homesick, gone for lengthy amounts of time. And, when you disconnect from home for the first time in a long time, or maybe the first time in your life, it's a, it's a, it's a, a life changing, humbling experience to be away from home and, 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 uh, be out on the road full time, like for weeks, if not a month, our long, oh, 48 days. That's what I was going to say. Our longest is like almost two months out and not coming back home. That was just a unique experience to, to, to live through, you know? So what was it like on the tour bus with Ralphie? I didn't really get to experience that. Yeah, it was fun, aren't you? I mean, we had a lot of fun. I mean, uh, more than anything, like after our shows, because after the show, we go get back on the bus and go to the next count. So we would literally uh, record audio our set, and uh, none of us wrote. Like, Corey and I don't have a joke book. Ralphie doesn't have a joke book. We would just make it up on stage, or we'd talk about it and then perform it. So we'd literally listen to the audio and then go over like we were John Madden. Like he would tell us we talked too fast or, you know, whatever. He'd break down our whole set and we would do it for him too. I said, Hey, you know, during the last two Netflix specials, we, we were, uh, we helped him. Yeah. We helped him on those two specials. We, we were going around and first it started with filthy animal tour. And then, uh, it was imperfectly yours and unruly. Yeah. And, and his last two specials, you know, he thanked us and we helped him. You know, we'd go over because Ralph wouldn't remember how he would riff and he wouldn't remember. So being on the tour bus, it was just mind blowing because he, we didn't think he would listen to our set, but he did every night. And then he would just go over with us, tell us how we messed up or what we did good or what we should change. And we never had an ego about it. We always were just like, yeah, that's our brother. You know, he's just, he's just looking out for us. And that's what it was. We just, four guys, it was me, it was uh, us two a tour manager, a bus driver, and Ralphie. And we lived on that bus for years. You know, That's five uh, guys, by the way. Yeah, five guys. And we would just literally go from town to town to town. <laughs> we did 48 states. Yeah, literally. I wish we could yeah. have the five guys burgers. I mean, shit. But we, uh, we did 48 states with Ralph. I mean, that's a lot of road time. Canada, and we took the tour bus to Canada. That was amazing. A fucking moose stepped out in the middle of the of the of the highway we were on and blocked the bus in the middle of the night. This big ass moose. And I remember Ralphie opened up the curtain and saw that moose and he and the head of that moose was in the windshield. And you know those tour buses were up off the ground and we would all laugh on, on stuff like that. We almost hit a deer one night. A deer jumped out in Virginia and it clipped the front of the 
the uh, the tour bus and it spun off into the weeds and got up and took off running. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't kick out the poor animal, but the, the butt did hit it and that, that thing spun around and kept on galloping and jumping into the forest. It was flipping amazing, you know, but lots of fun times with Ralphie and watching the ups and downs in his personal life and our personal lives. Like we went through a, a crazy bunch of years all together as, as, uh, as men and we'll be forever grateful for the, the education Ralphie provided us and the connections and just the wisdom. Like he was, he was good about that. You know, we would just talk all fucking night. Ralphie could not sleep. We would stay up all night, whether you wanted to or not. He'd keep you up. And Ralphie would cook on the tour bus. He would cook, Danny, at the fucking three in the morning. Ralphie would start cooking a whole, what, chili and, well, whatever. He'd make chili and spaghetti at three in the morning. You know, he'd just make us feel so welcome. You know, that's how he was. A little Southern boy, you know? (laughs) He was a sweet, sweet guy. I mean, Ralphie uh, loved us. And uh, he would tell us he loved us, just like he would tell everybody before he hung up the phone. He'd always say, I love you the most. There's nothing you can do about it. I love you the most. I love you the most. That's right. Yeah, I love you the most. And he would always tell that to everyone because he really did. And uh, one time, uh, for some reason, the show didn't work out. He promised us we'd be on the road. And for some reason, managers or whoever got involved, and and someone else got booked. Ralphie sent us a check for the money. And we told him no, you know. We didn't, and we didn't cash it. We hung on to that check for like three weeks until we seen him. And when we got back on the tour bus, we handed it to him. And Ralphie goes, no, no way. He's, uh, Don't you ever hand me back. Uh, I love you. It was a booking error. And here you go. Yeah. And, and, and no one does that. The point I'm trying to, the point we're trying to make is no one does that. You know that in this business. If, if you got double booked, you don't get shit. And, but he, he loved us so much. He goes, no, you take that. And you know, you have family. And we'll never, I'll never forget that. I mean, no one's ever done that. We've been doing this almost 15 years and no one's ever, or clubs would try to fuck us when we do clubs and they would get Ralphie a room or not let us eat all this politics of different clubs. You're like, oh, the feature, the feature doesn't get the order off the menu. And Ralphie's like, oh, they don't? Okay, I want two of everything. And he, Ralphie literally had a funny bone. We're not going to say which club, <laughs> but Ralphie had a funny bone, ordered two of everything on the whole menu. And, and they literally brought two not mozzarella sticks, two nachos, two steaks, and they filled up the whole green room. And Ralphie goes, throw it in the trash. If it's not good enough for my brothers, it's not good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were trying to eat it, and we were trying to grab the steak, and he goes, fuck you. You put that steak down. And he's off. I go, Ralphie, it's steak and shrimp. He goes, put it down. I said, all right. So we threw it away. Because I wasn't about, listen, I'm divorced. I live alone. I'll eat that steak. I don't, I don't care, Danny. I'll eat that steak. Yeah. Those raviolis look good. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, you guys were with him um, through some pretty low times at the end as well, when he and I sort of lost touch. Yeah, yeah he was going through a bitter divorce for two years. You know, he got served on his 42nd or his 43rd birthday. He got served divorce papers. And divorces aren't good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who goes through it. It's just a tough time. And he missed his kids. And uh, I'm glad that we were on tour with him because he literally had nobody. Some shows he never wanted to do, but he's excited to spend time with us. And he would always tell us that. There were times we had to 
you know, shows were delayed and we didn't end up doing lengthy sets because Ralphie wasn't into it. There were ten, we've done an hour ahead of Ralphie and then bring Ralphie out and he does a three hour set, you know, didn't want to down and out, maybe a little depressed and he'd come out and still Danny do three fucking hours and just rock the place. Like, you know, Rocky, you know how he was. When that old boy got on stage, he was like Superman. He, Ralphie would transform into a, he loved his fans, man. That's one thing. People listening, they need to realize Ralphie loved his fans. Describe Ralphie in one word. Love. Jolly. Love. I think, I think Ralphie's heart was bigger than him. Love. I've never, we've never ever, besides like me and my brother, you know, we love each other more than anything, but we've never been that close to someone, even our own parents. Like, I don't think we've ever been so close to someone, you know, like that's how cool he was. Like you could literally tell Ralphie May anything and he would never judge you. He would always, no matter what, he, he just accepted whatever you had to say and helped you figure it out. So for me, I love Corey says, jolly, because man, when that old boy started laughing, it was contagious. That, that fucking cherub face of his and that Southern twang and just, I don't know the aura that that man put out was contagious and like everybody, all colors, all races, sizes, shapes, everyone had a good time around Ralphie May. He just, but you're right, Danny, he did go through some dark times. Some of those times my brother and I will never share. They, they were some dark times and some of those stories we'll never really put out there. That's just going to be between us and Ralphie on that tour bus and a lot of depression and his health and, you know, we're just sad. We we were devastated the October 6th when we found out that Ralphie passed away. And uh, we drove out to Vegas. We were there a couple hours. As soon as we found out, we were there a couple hours after. Yeah, he passed away that morning, and we were there probably four, five, five, six hours later after he passed away. Wow. And we did his show. We did his dirty show at the South Point. And, uh, and we and we did a show for Ralphie and uh, yeah, Vegas had billboards of of uh, we'll miss you, Ralphie. But that day it was amazing. Vegas fucking billboards and casinos and yeah, man, it was a very devastating thing, Danny. And you know, you know just as well as us. There's only a few people, Danny, in his life that can say that they were a true friend of Ralphie, and you're one of those people. A lot of people knew him, but they weren't really his friends. You know what I mean? Uh, but I know, we know that you were one of them and, 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 and it meant a lot to Ralph because Ralph, he had a lot of acquaintances, but he didn't have too many friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. <sighs> well, guys, thank you so much for sharing and thank you yeah, for having us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you soon, man. Seeing you soon and call us anytime, bro. I love you the most, guys. We love you the most. There's nothing you can do about it. Corey and Chad, man, did Ralphie pick some really brutally funny people. Corey and Chad, love those guys. Smash Brothers! So now let's skip forward. A bit of time had gone by since I'd spoken to Ralphie. And last summer in August, I decided to do my first Edinburgh Festival, which takes place in Edinburgh, Scotland, and is the biggest performing arts festival in the world. And I was with my cousin hanging out at a vegan Indian restaurant, You know the cousin, the one who Ralphie loves so much. And my cousin Mark says, Come on, Danny. It's been a minute since you've spoken to Ralphie. 
Give him a call. Give that big man a call. Come on, man. We need to talk to that fat prick right now. And I was like, all right, all right. I picked up the phone and called Ralphie. And he answered right away, which almost never happened. Usually you'd leave a message and he'd call you back in an hour or in a day or in a week. But he answered right away. And I put my cousin Mark on the phone and Ralphie's like, holy shit, is that Danny's racist Scottish cousin? Ah, holy shit. <laughs> oh, he's still gay as hell. I'm not gay. I'm, I'm not straight. I'm both. I'm neither. And we start talking, and then Ralphie's like, let me talk to Danny for a minute on his own. You know, I take the phone off speakerphone, I walk away, and I start talking to Ralphie. He's like, I miss you so much, Danny LaBelle. I'm like, I miss you too, Ralphie. I'm like, I'm out here in Edinburgh, and it's like, it's going well. It looks like I'm getting an agent out here. And he's like, I'm so happy for you. I miss you. When you get back, when you get back in town, you got to come out. Come out to come out to Tennessee. You gotta come hang out in Tennessee, and and then I'm gonna be in L.A. Okay, and then we're going to get together. Okay, we're gonna get back on the road. We're gonna we're gonna do some gigs together. Catch up on all time. Do that philosophy podcast. Okay, baby, I'm gonna make it all happen. And I was like, I I, I can't wait for that to happen. I love you, Ralphie. Thank you for everything you've done for me. You know it, Dan LaBelle. I always believed in you. I always believe in you. I still believe in you. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. I met a lot of people in Hollywood. Okay. Ken Jeong. Okay. He, I helped him. All right. He was, he, I told him you could be a star. Then he became a doctor. He became a doctor on that doctor show. Believe it. I'm telling you, you got that. You got it. You just got to believe in yourself. You just got to believe in yourself. Okay. And it's going to be all right because I wouldn't tell you that. If I didn't believe it was true at this point, Danny LaBelle, I, I, I know I know you're going to have some babies soon. I know you want to raise a family, and I'm telling you, you can do this. And I'm like, thank you, Ralphie. I, I really appreciate it, and I love you, man. And he's like, all right, you take care. When you get back to America, you, you call me. And then when I got back, he was dead. The comedian Ralphie May from Last Comic Standing has passed away. We're told for the last six weeks the comedian had been battling pneumonia and just this morning was found deceased in a private residence just outside of Las Vegas. And at this time it's believed he passed away of cardiac arrest. He leaves behind two young kids. Jeez. The memories, man, like uh, screaming, waving terrible towels around together and he always kept insisting that I shave my beard, as you heard in the clips. One time I actually did it, and I did look like Andy Melanakis. I looked like a little kid, and then he looked at me and go, oh, no, you need to grow the beard back <laughs> after all that. I get the call to come down to the improv. They had a memorial service for Ralphie. It was tough. I went there and I saw these amazing people that I met through him, like Skylar Stone, who we heard from earlier, and the Smash Brothers, those hysterical identical twins. Just uh, you know, he's like he was like a big fish kind of character. He had all the not just because there were twins at the end of that movie, but because he had all these characters from his life. I mean, I I met this guy Jersey Georgie through him, who helped me do a drop and run when I needed to get rid of my rooster and drop it in a petting zoo, which is a whole nother story. But this guy used to like run a heroin ring in the Bronx and then, and then he became a framer 
in New Jersey, and he had a business called like You've Been Framed. He's met all these strange. There's like this Philly cheesesteak guy who used to come around and supply him to his gigs, who we used to hang around with. But I went to this memorial service at the Improv, and I went up on stage, and I spoke from the heart about Ralphie. And I told this story about when I was broke in Brooklyn, living across from the Ecuadorian gangster neighbors and super depressed and just in a really bad place. And I call Ralphie and he's like, Dan LaBelle, the only reason you're not a star right now is because you don't dress well enough. What's your address there in Brooklyn? And I told him, I'm like, why? He goes, don't worry about it. And then a box shows up with some of the most hideous looking shirts I've ever seen in my life. He's like, I had a friend of mine, got a t-shirt company. He's got like real good stuff. I mean, this is how you got to dress, Dane LaBelle. You, you put those shirts on, it's all going to turn around for you. And I knew these shirts were, I mean, as far from me as they could possibly be. These shirts were not my style in any way. They had like metal studs on them and crosses and <laughs> and skulls and Chinese symbols. They were the worst looking shirts in the world. But I tried it for a little while. I looked like total white trash. But I tried it. Man, I really miss Ralphie May. What a special guy. I'm crying just thinking about him. What a loss to this world. What a funny guy who brought joy to so many people. I learned so much from that guy. And I'm just so sad I'll never get to see him or speak to him again. I'm sad for his kids that they don't have their dad anymore. I'm sad for his ex-wife because I know they loved each other. Even with all the problems that they had, they have a rags to riches story together. My heart goes out to all of Ralphie's family members. I met a bunch of them for the first time at the memorial service at the improv. But the world will and already does miss Ralphie May. He was one of a kind. I took his advice. I tried it. I tried it all. Except the bacon. He could not crack me on bacon. But shaved the face, wore the ugly shirts, built up my self-esteem, got a beautiful girl, married her. And now uh, we want to have a kid soon. <laughs> I wish I could have the luxury that Joe Matarese had and call Ralphie for some advice on that now. Maybe I should start a podcast called Fixing Danny. The first thing I'm doing to fix myself is starting May 1st, I'm checking myself into an outpatient rehab to try another way of losing this weight. And I'll tell you, Ralphie tried no shortage of ways to lose his weight. As much as everyone might think, ah, it was his fault. He got his stomach stapled. He did the Celebrity Fit Club. He checked into numerous rehab facilities. He was on all kinds of diets. Lana had this company bring meals to him, which were like controlled meals. He went to this guy, Dr. Roney, that I also went to. I set him up with who did like uh, weight loss through different kinds of pills. It's a real struggle. Being overweight is a disease, and it's a disease that a lot of people in this country die from. And I don't want to be one of them. And I will be forever sad that Ralphie was. It took two of my great comedy mentors and friends, Ralphie and Patrice O'Neill, two of the funniest guys who ever walked this planet, 
were taken down by being overweight. My heart goes out to the world for losing Ralphie. Every single one of you. Every one of you who got to see him. Every one of you who never got to see him and never will get to see him live. Go on YouTube and watch the clips. Hilarious beyond belief. Before we end this thing, I think it's time for one more phone call. I have a feeling Ralphie would have wanted the episode to end this way. Let's call my cousin Mark. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Not bad. I've just woken up. I'm uh, tired. Passover's over. I can now go out and have a big loaf of bread and watch some Playboy and masturbate, so I'm okay. I'm doing a, um episode for my podcast, Remembering Ralphie May. Yeah. And you know he loved you. Yep. So I wanted to, first of all, reflect with you on... Uh, on Ralphie and what he meant to you. Of course, of course. So I just want to ask you, as you know, Danny, our Scots have, uh, have very funny ways of speaking. Um, uh, has this got to, have I got to be, uh, have I got to watch my P's and Q's when I give you my real emotions of the big man, Ralphie May? No, you can, you can speak as yourself. What Ralphie meant to me was he was one big, stupid, fat, funny bastard. <laughs> he was one, and I would say that to his face. One big, stupid, fat, but funny bastard. Yes, he was. He was a legend. There was one of a kind. As soon as he would pick up the phone, he was in hysterics of laughter, like laughing on the ground. He was crawling about the ground laughing. Hilarious. I don't know whether it was my accent or whether he was jerking off, but he was hilarious. He used to he used to call you. He said, "Ah, you're so racist. You're so racist." He always thought you were racist because of what you call Chinese food. But isn't that what people all call Chinese food in Scotland? What do they call Chinese food? Well, the, the chinky. Yeah. I'll tell you another wee Chinese joke that goes with it. We always make sure that Chinese people sit at the front of a theater because they're so fucking small. <laughs> Maybe you are racist. <laughs> no, 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 definitely. Just don't get me talking about the blacks. But anyway, there we go. Ralphie was important to everybody. Now you spoke to him with me over the years many times because every time yeah. I was with you, uh, he would always say, "Make sure you call your Scottish cousin. I need to talk to your Scottish cousin." And uh, so you you've had many long conversations with the man. I did. He was he was just very passionate about comedy. He was passionate about people, about you, about getting you on tour with him, about me, about what life is like in the United Kingdom. A lovely guy, warm. It was tragic. The news was tragic. Such a a popular, funny comedian. You get a lot of people that are not funny and not kind and not good comedians. What did you love about Ralph? That laugh, that infectious laugh. I thought, you know, whenever you hear that laugh. <laughs> he was hilarious. He was warm. Um, he, what else did I love about He always made me hungry when I spoke to him. Um, what else? That? That is, I have no idea. But he did it. Magically, when I got off the phone to Ralph, I wanted to go and order a fish and chips. <laughs> you remember the day that we called him when you encouraged me to call him when we were having an Indian food? I remember sitting to you last Edinburgh Festival. I remember, I think it was. Um, 
well, I remember sitting with you and saying, give him a call. You hadn't spoken to him in a wee while. And, and there we go. We were outside and you were laughing. And he was laughing. And um, yes, uh, very much a legend in every sense of the word. Very funny, hilarious, great humour, great storytelling, warm guy, uh, very, very, very um, kind man. I got to know him in my, uh, obviously, over the phone. I got to know him by watching YouTube and DVDs. And I got to know him in my memory because we call it a wet dream. I would wake up and, and masturbate over him. <laughs> All right, Mark. I love you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Ralphie, he's the man who took me from pretty much being an open micer to becoming a comedian. I love you the most, big man. I'm going to try and do you proud. All right, everybody. Bye for now. Take care and God bless. That was Danny Lobel and a very powerful tribute for Ralphie May. Get tickets for Danny's Comedy Festival at egamon.com. Pick up a copy of Danny's comic book, at fairenoughcomic.com and when we come back on Modern Day Philosophers we will be in season 9 thank you for listening